episode of season one of Hidden Pearls podcast. We are very excited to be here. Also a little sad, a little shocked. Um, thank you to everyone who has been along for the ride. GK, you have been an insane um, co-host talent. We, we decided you're the talent. So um, Co-host talent? Mm-hmm. I think I put my hours in. Yeah, you definitely did. Um, so today we have a really great show. We are featuring the University of Iowa Children's Hospital. Ooh, which baby! Has been a really... Uh, very heart center for Claire and George um, mm-hmm. for their time at Iowa and even past. But um, and then we also have, so we're super excited. We decided to end our season with an interview from the one and only CJ Bathard. CJ Bathard. CJ Bathard. So George and CJ have been teammates for nine years. Um, yeah, it's a great story. So we're super excited to have him on. And then we also have uh, Broderick Ben. So he's a great interview. Um, super, super great, but coordinating all the things. So with that being said, let's toss it over to Pop BK for the quote corner and the mindful minute. Mindful minute. Lock it in. Focus up. Attack the day. Yeah, recording. Okay. All right, everybody, for our quote corner, we have three different quotes because it's the last episode of the year. So why would we just have one? Why would we have one? Why would we just have one? Okay. So the first one is by Kendrick Lamar. I always thought it was me against the world. And then one day I realized it's just me against me. I always thought it was me against the world. And then one day I realized it's just me against me. Second quote is by Joseph Goldstein. Every time we become aware of a thought rather than being lost in a thought, we experience opening of the mind by Joseph Goldstein. One more time. Every time we become aware of a thought rather than being lost in a thought, we experience the opening of the mind. And the last one by Thich Nhat Hanh is breath is the bridge which connects life to consciousness, which unites your body to your thoughts. Breath is the bridge which connects life to consciousness, which unites your body to your thoughts. I love that quote. All right, mindful minute. Mindful minute. Okay, so, uh, well, it's the last show of the season, so we're one kind of short, and you know we've been working backwards if you're thinking about it. So we're going to do the last two stages, or the first two, depending on how you want to look at it, which would be controlled breath and then conscious awareness. So I'm just going to tie them together a little bit and because they're so related. So um, we've spoken on the idea that the thought, that our thoughts are just thoughts and feelings are just feelings. They are not us, they do not define us, and they do not control ultimately what we do. The thoughts and feelings will pass. Thank goodness. Thank goodness, Emma. (laughs) And they can be changed. But we are unable to make the change or take control of our thoughts if we are not being (laughs) mindfully present in the moment so that we can detect when these thoughts and emotions are arising. It is in the moment of our awareness that we're able to find the pause that we talked about last week, if you were here, that allows us to choose our response to whatever's going on. This is the battle described in the Lamar quote. We feel like it is us against the world when we allow our thoughts to define us and to control us. This in turn creates battles and enemies where they do not exist. When we realize that all of the true battles are found within and we turn our attention to understanding and taking control of our thoughts and feelings, 
the world opens to us as we understand ourselves more deeply and become who we are intended to become. At the heart of this process is the breath, breathing. It is representative of our very spirit and our life force. Our breath is precious and from it and within it, we are able to take control of our mind and our bodies. It is the root source of our ability to take control of our life and achieve the things in life that we want to achieve. It is the open door to the secrets of who you are, what you want and how you want to get there. Find yourself within as you unlock the power of your breath through silence and mindfulness. So action steps for this year. First, action. action. First, Em and I want to wish you a very happy new year. And we want to thank you for being part of our show and for listening. We're very, very grateful for you guys. So it's been really exciting. So thank you for that. Um, and often at this time of year with the new year, we look back over the last year to assess accomplishments and successes, and also to see what maybe we fell short in our areas of growth. So I wish all of you goodness and love into the 2021 year. I know we're all very glad to get there. And I encourage you to find grace and loving kindness, not just for yourself, and maybe particularly for yourself as you're doing all that, but also for others as we boldly, boldly, Emma, mm -hmm. and fearlessly mm -hmm. enter into this new year. May it be one of increased mindfulness, joy, and opportunity for you and all of your loved ones. I want to close with a quote from one of my favorite mindfulness and meditation teachers, John Kabat-Zinn. And he said, perhaps the most spiritual thing any of us can do is simply to look clearly through our own eyes, see with eyes of wholeness, and then to act with integrity and kindness. So wishing you a very, very happy new year, a mindful, mindfully happy new year, and be safe, and we will see you in 2021. Thank you. This week we have with us the one person that has been on the football field with George more than any other person ever. Ever. Mr. CJ <laughs> Yeah. What's up, CJ? Welcome to it. Welcome to long, long time no see. I know, right? So CJ yeah. and George go back over nine years with their days at Iowa and now at the Niners. We are thrilled to have CJ with us on the last episode of the Hidden Pearls podcast for the 2020 season. CJ, we really couldn't think of a better guest to have. So thank you so much for being here with us. Ooh, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an honor. Uh, I'm glad you guys had me. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Um, okay, so Casey Jarrett, CJ Bathard. Casey Jarrett. Played college ball at the University of Iowa, drafted in the third round of the 2017 draft, listed big at 6'2", 250, no, 250. Yeah. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, he went to high school at Battleground Academy, Ooh, the BG. Wildcats in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, so yep. let's talk about how did you get to Iowa? Why did you get to Iowa? And then some favorite memories, maybe from Miller Street, maybe not, maybe from the football days. Um, what do you mm. got for uh yeah I mean I I really didn't know much about Iowa coming out of high school it's kind of a weird thing I was committed to Ole Miss for probably over a year and then they had a new coach come in and uh when they were more of a spread offense and I was more wanting to do like a pro style deal and so my head coach in high school sent my tape to Iowa last minute it was kind of like a few weeks before signing day or, or maybe like a month or two or something like that and they sent it there and they wanted me to come on a visit 
And I remember my dad telling me about it. And I was like, Dad, I'm not, I'm not going up to Iowa. Like, I don't even know where Iowa is. I don't want to go to Iowa. My dad's like, CJ, you need, you need to go on this visit just to see just to see your options. And I was like, I was like so mad because I've been wanting to go on this for a long time. You know, it's in the South. I'm from the South. And, and it was SEC, whatever. So I went up there and actually Doozy, Jake Doozy was my host. And Doozy. I mean, we just had a great time. I remember going, it was snow everywhere. And I was like, what the heck? It's freezing up here. But um, it, it was a blast. I had a great time. And I remember coming home and it was just like in my heart. It was just like, I was like, man, this is such a tough decision because I know what I want to do, but I know what I need to do. What the right thing to do is, was to decommit and go to Iowa. And so I did that uh, within within probably a few days of, of going on my visit and and then ended up there that, that next summer. So, yeah, wow, kind of how, how it happened. You, you ended up with a Hawkeye instead of a Rebel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. There we go. That's pretty cool, man. Well, we're glad you did. Turned out pretty mm-hmm. good. You're not bad no at all. doubt. You know, it was uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. Just all the memories and, and everything. Uh, you know, me and George have, have, you know, gone through five years of college together, had some great times and uh, living together and 830 Miller. Yeah, I wouldn't change those, those days for the world. Yeah, we had a good time once in a while. Yeah. yeah the, old, uh, the old Miller Street place. 830 Miller. It, it's 830 like, Miller. Uh, he who shall not be named almost. Yeah, it's a legendary house in Iowa City. Just I, like the college house of all college houses. Like, like I had a college house. Right, like I feel like everybody kind of has like a college living situation. Take mm-hmm. that and then like climb deep, dark into yeah. a hole. Yep. And yeah. just pour like beer and natty light and Bud Light. Really? You drink Bud Light? I'm sponsored now, so I kind of oh, have to say that. Just Bud Light. <laughs> and then Only. football socks and any other things that might have like just Mold. so yeah it was disgusting i mean and, and then george's door didn't broken toilet <laughs> and broken doors and cj's girlfriend nothing. kicked my door down one yeah time. Matt, maddie kicked your door down george uh <laughs> we had a night laid out one night and george passed out in his room and we were like banging on the door for so long george was like because we had people over after and george was like just knocked out like unconscious passed out and maddie was like He's gonna he's gonna throw up in, uh, on his back and choke on his throw up, and like everyone else was like, "What is she talking about?" And out of nowhere, she just comes and kicks a hole through his door, and we're we're like, "What the heck are you doing?" Wait, and George was just sound asleep, all cuddled up, like he was fine. I was so cozy, <laughs> and we put a backpack on him. We put a backpack on him so he didn't roll over on his back. And uh, the next morning, I woke up. I woke, yeah, up. Yeah. I woke up like, "What the heck happened?" That was a fun one for me. Yeah, that door got replaced a few times. So twice. Yeah. So we're glad Mandy had an opportunity. Oh, you remember when uh, Fedorowicz threw Peter Picar through it? Yeah. Yeah. I was, there, I and was then upstairs. we upstairs. I was upstairs eating a bowl of cereal, and they thought I was in there. I was mm-hmm. like, "Good enough." And then we, when the the toilet broke, we the whole toilet like was shattered in half. Like and we didn't. None of us knew what happened. Everyone was like, "Well, what? What happened Some to the girl toilet?" Walked out of the bathroom, and the whole <laughs> yeah. toilet was literally split in half. And she walked mm-hmm. out of the bathroom crying and left. And we were like, "What happened?" Like, okay? who was that girl? We gotta find who that girl was. <laughs> she gave us like fifty bucks to replace the toilet. Mm-hmm. I'll never wow. forget. I'll never forget when George. Oh. He was like, "You, you went to the to like uh, high V one day and came back with a bunch of cleaning supplies." It's like right when we moved there. As if we were gonna like use it, all the cleaning supplies to keep the house clean and stuff. <laughs> and 
George comes back. He's like, hey, everybody owes me $7.50. I just bought a, a bunch of cleaning supplies for to last us for the next few months. And I don't think we touched those cleaning supplies the whole time we were there. It was like once a month we would Swiffer the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now, CJ, have you joined the, the Miller Tat Club or not? I am. I'm a part. I'm a part of the me, George, and Connor, the original, the original it's three. Riley, right? Yeah, Riley McCarran. Mm. Tan got his later. Tan got his cornbread. But yeah, me, me, CJ, and uh, Cornbrath were the original three that went. I remember we talked about it like probably sophomore year when we moved in. We we're like, hey, before we graduate, we gotta get this tattoo. And at the time, we're like, yeah, definitely, we definitely have to get it. And then, then Senior like college. we're. Then, then we graduated, and then right before about to leave campus, I think it was Connor. I was like, all right, guys, we got to get that tattoo right. And I'm sitting there like, I'm like, ah, oh, man. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm good if we don't. I'm good if we don't get that tattoo. <laughs> because we didn't like, together either. Like, I was like, I what I said, I would. Yeah, that, that was so funny. We just all went together and got it. That was a good well, time. Cool brother, he was just like, yeah, we got to get that tattoo. I, I have it scheduled. We're getting it tomorrow at 3 p.m. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, 50 bucks. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> That was so funny. Great times. Oh my goodness. Okay. Continue. Go. Okay. Well, a uh, little history. So your grandfather, uh, Bobby, was general manager, um, and he cut oh, Hall of Fame. Oh, in the Hall of Fame. Talk about it first. Yeah. So I think he also we went are... to Cal Poly, which is where Riley Till now goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think we talked about this before. So in my very brief cup of coffee moment with the NFL. Uh, I was at the Reds, oh, Washington Football Club, excuse me. Uh, and, uh, your grandfather was uh, the one who cut me. So I got to mm-hmm. cool. What did you do though? What did you do when you got cut? Uh, well, I was still kind of nicked up. I torn my ACL that year. So I was not quite healthy. So I was kind of iffy going back anyway. So after that, so uh, nothing. I took the bonus money and I, um, I bought 1100 Yamaha motorcycle and took a trip. <laughs> Nice. You got you to get over it somehow. So, I, you know, anyway, <laughs> so and I jumped into coaching and that was the end of that. So it was all good. And then your dad, Casey, um, love your pops, is a songwriter. Um, if you guys don't know who Casey Beathard is, he wrote songs like The Boys of Fall. CJ, you're in that music video, right? Uh, yeah, I am. It was actually my first right. ever start uh, in high school. My sophomore year was my first start as a quarterback in high school. It was so random. Like I think they had planned it weeks before that they were going to come do that music video that week. And it just so happened that was my first start. And we ended up winning, beating NBA, uh, really? a team that we had no business beating. And we, we won the game. It was really cool. I would say it had a lot to do with the quarterback. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, <laughs> appreciate that. Absolutely. And then um, Maddie, uh, Maddie's going to love this podcast, but Maddie, the one who mm-hmm. kicked George's door, um, little firecracker. You guys are still together, and you have a daughter, Lila, um, four years old. Um, and there's a great quote that you said uh, that says, "The love I have experienced for her over the past year is something I never knew was possible." I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I am thankful for all the joy she brings to my life. So, um, how is it being a dad, Siege? What's up, Papa? I mean, it's it's awesome. I mean, it's so true, though. Like, you really don't know you can love something or someone so much until you have have your own kids and um, I, I remember, uh, I remember the day that, that, uh, Lila was born was just, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll experience, y'all will experience it someday. Bruce, you already have obviously, but it's like, 
when I talk about loss of words, I was just like, I was in shock. I started crying or whatever, but I remember going into it. I was like, I'm definitely not going to cry. Like, I'm, people are like, you, it, it happened. You all, everyone, the husband should always cry or whatever. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I probably won't, I'm probably not going to cry. Like I, I was like, and Maddie was like, you better cry. And I was like, well, I, I can't help it if I don't cry or whatever. Like, it's just whatever. And, and I'll tell you right now, yeah, I cried. I cried my, my little eyes out and it was one of the best uh, day, days of my life for sure. And then now she, she just turned four a couple of weeks ago and she's, she's big and, and, and she, she owns me now. She tells me what to do and where to go. And uh, I mean, you guys, you guys have seen her in the, in the last few months and I mean, she's awesome. She's awesome to be around. She yeah. is. And like, mm -hmm. she was such a cute baby, but her little personality is so much fun. She's mm -hmm. Yeah, she's that's so that's the best thing about her. Her personality is the funniest, and she likes to she likes to be a dog more than anything. So she'll crawl around on all fours, like twenty four seven. Sometimes we have to tell her, like Lila, you got to stop being a dog. Like you got to be a be a person. She'll bark around. I'm like, hopefully this is just a stage she's going through. Hey, do you remember we were running, <laughs> we were running routes this summer, and Lila came, and she was a dolphin. <laughs> she's always yeah, dolphin, a horse, she was a, a dog. Dolphin. I'm not kidding you. You ask her, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? She's like, uh, I want to be a, a horse. I'm like, well, good luck with <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you go, girl. Hey, you can be whatever you want. Limits on her dreams now. Yeah. Don't be put limits oh, on her dreams. You got to support that. Yeah, well, but it's really true, though. You um, it's you can't really even talk about it. I mean, you don't know. So but when you see that little head fire now, it's mm -hmm. like, and then they hand, hand him or her to you. It's just your life is never the same. So yeah. it's really simple. So, well, very cool. All right. So, let's see. We're on Susan, Mama Ooh. Bear. Mm -hmm. Susan! Can't, can't, can't skip her. No. no. So, pretty much a rock star. Kept everybody together. Mm -hmm. I wish we had time. Your dad told me the story about when he broke up with his old girlfriend and then ended up after he met Susan and all that stuff. Oh, it's a, such a great love story. That, is, that is a story. So great the, story. I don't know the story. Has but... he written a song about that? He's, uh, that's the one that needs a song. I know. I don't, I'm sure it's somewhere in there. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know the story. I can't tell you the story because I remember he's told me it, but it's just one of those things that like, like it gives me like, uh, oh, man. like anxiety thinking about it. Cause he was, I think he was engaged yeah. to he was. the girl yeah. and he knew she wasn't the one when he met my mom, he was like, well, I'm, and he was actually supposed to get married and the wedding got called off because her mom got cancer, I think is what it was. So it was just like, I was like, oh, that's sounds like a, just a nightmare of a situation. But, um, you know, it was all for the right reasons for sure. Yeah, no doubt. But anyway, he tells it because, you know, I think it was one of the first times I met him and I can't remember. We must have been in a game where we had time to chat for a minute or like at a hotel or something. And I said, well, how'd you and Susan ever met? And then he told me that story and I was like, man, that is like magic. I mean, that yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful story yeah. that way. So. Okay, so how about we have musical interest in the family, obviously with your dad, we'll get to Brother Tucker in a minute, but you were the leader of one of the most famous boy bands huh? in the history yeah. of Tennessee music. Tell us a little bit about the boy band, huh? Yeah, I mean, shoot, if, uh, if, I, if I'd never given up on the, on the band, you know, we, we might have been the, the Jonas Brothers or something before the Jonas Brothers were a thing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, You're like no, Peyton we, Manning and uh, Brad Paisley. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> on the tour bus. 
<laughs> yeah, no, we, we grew up. I mean, Tucker was always the most musically talented. Uh, he was like a, a prodigy drummer at a real young age and just kept getting better and better. And then I got into guitar and then Clay got into guitar. So we both played guitar and then actually, I mean, it probably drove my mom and dad crazy. We'd always get in, into Tucker's room. Tucker's room had the drum set and we'd plug our amps in and, and just jam in his room probably every day um, and just work on like these songs that we made up and we thought they were so good and so cool and stuff. And my dad always said, hey, you guys put five songs together. Um, well, written, you know, write them out and stuff and I'll take you to the studio, record them. And I remember we always go, dad, we, we got our songs and we play them for him. And we, we never really had words to him. And he was like, you guys really need to do it right. Like get it to where it's a full song. We'd be like we'd get so mad that he would never take us. But looking back on it, we had no idea what we were doing. And <laughs> So we would do little shows. We did like uh, talent shows in middle school and then a fundraiser show. I think it was my freshman year of high school. And then I remember once I started getting into football pretty seriously, Tucker would always get so mad. He'd be like, dude, when are we going to rehearse? We haven't rehearsed in so long. I'm like, dude, I got practice. I, I'm not, I'm sorry. I can't do it. Right? He would just get so mad at me. So then he just took it upon his own shoulders and look at him now. Now he's uh, doing his thing. So, Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. So speaking of Tucker, speaking of Tucker, go Emmy. Um, Tucker's doing all right. Tucker's doing great. Um, he had a big concert at Kinnick back in 2016. Um, and we have another quote from you. Our whole family lives for sports and music. It's what bound us together back to my grandparents and his years in the early, his years in the NFL. It was awesome to be invited to the back porch revival and to see those two worlds collide in front of a stadium full of people. And for those who don't know, so Kinnick is Iowa's uh, home stadium in Iowa City, Iowa. And it was the first concert ever, ever. in Kinnick Stadium. Oh, and who all performed? Because it was it was Dallas Clark and like Ashton Kutcher put it on. With it was, I remember Blake Shelton was one of the main acts. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Oh, uh, Thomas Rhett was, was there. I can't Thomas remember Rett. all the people, but good life. Um, that, I mean, that was such a fun, fun night. That, that was a fun one. Um, I remember we all got to, I mean, it was like our football players, our home, home stadium. So we kind of just got to do and go wherever we wanted. And uh, it was just a fun time. It's a great time. Mm -hmm. Well, and then, uh, go ahead. Oh, well, I just, so I, I, cause I remember that when that went down, I was just going to say, you know, I was thinking about your dad um, and the music and the family. You know, my favorite, really one of my favorite concerts, and then it happened again almost, was one of the very first times we got, I think we were, I don't know if we were going to a bowl game or we were driving through, they're going somewhere. And then your dad was in one of those songwriters, like little, you know, where they put the songwriters on and they play their own music and they sing. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember. Did you go to that with us or not? I can't remember. But anyway, I know Jan and I went and I know Susan was there. And then your dad played with like two or three other pretty famous songwriters. And that was, mm -hmm. that one was in Nashville. Um, and it was really, it was really cool. And then because they told stories about the different music and when they wrote it and who they wrote it for and all that. And oh my mm -hmm. gosh, so hilarious. Listen to your dad talk about these different, you know, kind of so-called superstars and how crazy they are. You know, it's just hilarious. But then mm -hmm. just in random, I don't know, I was on a 10 hour drive and I flipped on, I had Sirius XM or something. And then your dad was down in Florida with like five or six of these superstar, you know, songwriters. And he was kind of doing the same thing. So your dad's not only a very talented 
uh, songwriter, but pretty good musician as well. But he, mm -hmm. he certainly found his skills. So, but anyway, just I still remember that it was great and listen to all the stories about the songs and where he wrote them and when you guys were little and you know running around and all that kind of stuff and just you know breaking into the music industry and how challenging that was. So anyway, really good yeah, stuff. Yeah, those little songwriter rounds are probably. I mean, those are my favorite things. I'd rather go to those over concerts and stuff just because. Uh, when it's with a good group of songwriters, you know, a lot of the songwriters go unnoticed when it comes to songs. And when you hear the stories behind which songs are written and how they were written and where they were written, it's really, it's really cool and interesting. Yeah, no, it is. It's certainly, it's one of my favorites. So I, uh, anyway, so that was a, that was a good one for us. So, okay. Well, is, uh, is Tatum musical? So your other little sister? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tatum's Tatum's very very musical, and so is Charlie. Uh, Charlie and Tatum, they both have very good voices, and Charlie can play the piano really well, and actually the guitar pretty good. And yeah, and uh, Tatum is just now starting to learn uh, piano and guitar. So I mean, they they both have really really good voices. So I'm excited to see where you know whatever path they choose to take or um, what 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 happens. Yeah, well. So CJ, so you know, uh, it was in the news and all that kind of stuff last week with your start a week or so ago, a little more than that now, was the one year anniversary of of Clay's murder. Mm -hmm. and, um, anyway, and I just you know we talked about the whole family and all that kind of stuff, and um, I never had a chance to really spend much time with him. You know, I think he was up for one or two, and we kind of just hi, how are you, kind of thing. But mm -hmm. so, and I know uh, I've just listened to you talk about that, and you know, kind of followed along as your family went through all that. So. Uh, obviously, we're all deeply saddened when all that went down. Mm -hmm. But you've talked a lot about how you've grown as a person in this and kind of lessons learned and that kind of stuff. And so I just I don't want to hop over the family without talking a little bit about Clay and kind of where where you're at right now with it. And, you know, some of those lessons that maybe have come to you through all this whole thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I've learned me and my family just learned and and so much over the last year just with with everything with, with that and um with clay nolly the, the legacy clay clay left and, and the type of person he was i mean george knows clay more than more than y'all do and um i mean he was such a good dude always always smiling um laughing and and really taught me so much about about uh life and and everything more than more than i ever knew or, or could ever know until you know looking back on it um but uh like one of the texts, Clay, Clay sent me a text after the Chargers game um, whenever my first start was in 2018. And after that game, it was one of the best texts I've, I've ever gotten. It was so spot on about everything he said. And, um, you know, I, I read it before every game now. It just keeps me um, keeps me grounded. I mean, he, he always knew what to say, the right things to say. But I think uh, with, with what Clay, what happened to Clay, has taught me more than anything. It's just really to, it puts into perspective everything um, about what matters in life and what what doesn't matter. I mean, you know, we're we're all gonna we're all gonna uh, die someday, and um, you just truly never know when that is. So it's really trying to make the most out of each day and and enjoying each day. And it sounds cliche to say that tell the people you love them, you love them, um, but it really has taught me that firsthand because. I know exactly how Clay thought I felt about him. Like we were, we were best friends and Clay knows how I feel about him and have always felt about him. But I remember that text that Clay sent me, like the fact, like I know how he feels about me. And, and that's something that I go back to all the time. 
just because I, I, it just, it, you know, warms my heart and everything. So, you know, I, I send my, my sisters and my mom and, and, and Tucker and my dad, just let them know, like, truly how you feel about them, what, whether it could be like, yeah, you know, I, I know that, you know, I know, the, but it's like, it does go a long way. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's good to be loved and it's good to love others. And when you do love them, it's good to let them know. So there's no sense keeping any of that kind of stuff a secret. And you are so right about that because even, you know, whether it's sudden and tragic or not, you're like you said, everybody, we all pass and mm -hmm. years slip by pretty quickly. You know I mean? We know that because I'm sitting next to two little ones and I remember the day they were born and now here they are on their own lives in that way. And I know your family's the same way with that. So appreciating each day for the gift that it is and each breath that we take and, Kind of being intentional about how we want to live and who we want to be and making sure that we share that love with others so yeah and, and another thing i think i used to I, I would put so much stress on my circumstances in life and what was going on on the football field or you know what, what wasn't going on and third string second whatever it was and like i said this puts everything into perspective on what really matters in life and, and what doesn't and um it really changed my whole my whole family's mindset perspective on, on what we're here for, what we're living for. And, um, I, you know, it's really been such a, a big blessing in disguise for, for me and my family. Yeah. Well, between that beautiful young daughter of yours and Maddie and just going through this with Clay, I mean, no doubt, great appreciation for life and the people in your life that love you. So, mm -hmm. well, thank you for sharing that. So we just kind of wanted to touch on that piece. So, um, well, this is probably, well, a little transition into talking about you and George then, if you're okay with that. So, yeah, I'm um, good with that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. All right. Um, so, you guys go back a long way. And so, after that recruiting trip, you know, because uh, George rolled in around the same time you did. So, do you recall when you guys uh, would have first met and what, what the whole deal was with that at Iowa? I do. I remember because you had gotten there a couple of weeks before me uh, and yeah. I, I was part of the last group of freshmen to get on campus. And I, I remember getting there and, and George has always been like this. He's still like this. He's so um, outgoing and talkative. I remember it was like Riley and, and you were like basically doing everything together. And I was kind of just keeping to myself. And then George was wanting to reach out to me. Hey, man, what's up? You know, and, I remember it was in the locker room. I think I was getting weighed in or something, and he introduced himself and and really, you know, brought me in. He, he's always one, and still is this way. Hey, we're um we're going here tonight if you, if you want to come. And I was like, man, I just met you five minutes ago. Sure, yeah. I mean, I it was cool because I was looking for for obviously a group of guys and 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 people to hang out with, and and George just made it so easy, and he, he still does. He always does, which is something I, I've always appreciated uh, about George. Yeah, I mean, I will say that, yeah, because you're like your first day, we're all warming up and you guys had to go do like your own separate warm up because mm -hmm. two weeks after us, were you playing baseball or something? Is that what it was? Yeah, we had, I had to finish my high school baseball you, season. You finished baseball and then you show up. But yeah, no, I'm pretty sure you instantly hopped in. And it was really just funny because, yeah, you had such a strong Southern accent mm -hmm. and it was just so different than anybody else that was there. And we were just like, oh, this is going to be an absolute blast. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think we thoroughly enjoyed um, our freshman year in the dorms and that's where we lived together the next year. And that's why we're on year nine together. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's been a very, yeah, some of my favorite memories are from the <laughs> dorms, freshman year dorms. I get, 
that was probably one of my funnest year of college colleges, if not the funnest, most fun. Um, just, I mean, just you're all new on campus. You don't really know what you're doing. We catch the buses downtown. We have to leave by 10. Then we just try and figure out something else to do in, in the meantime. And I remember uh, it was you and Barkley were roommates, and it was me and Cornbread. <laughs> I, I forgot. Yeah. Barkley Hill. Just a lot of fun memories and stuff. Yeah, we had. A, do you remember our, our room? We changed out all the lights so they were black lights. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> we put up I black just, light posters. <laughs> I recently saw a picture of of us in your room, y'all's room. It was me, you, Riley, and Connor, or maybe Barkley, and we're sitting on a like a little probably 30, 30 inch TV, or and or smaller than that, probably twenty five inch, and it's got the four split screens. We're all like this close to the screen playing video, playing a uh, halo. And it's like, <laughs> I remember those days, like those were so, like, we, I thought that was so much fun. Like just on that tiny Such screen, just looking back on it, it's like, man, I don't know how people played halo like that. <laughs> no, we just play each other all the time. Yeah. Oh my God. I had a Mario Kart. We had, we had some good times in those dorm rooms. Oh my mm -hmm. God. Early uh, halo. That's tough. Early halo. Well, and also, um, I don't know if you have this in the script later, Bruce, but um, let's talk about, so CJ, you were first had interest by the Niners. And the reason that they found young GK is because he was catching balls for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, tell that story. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's funny. So uh, yeah, Rich Gangarello, the quarterback coach at the time, uh, hit me up like like two days before. He's like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm going to be there on Thursday. Uh, could you um, find a couple guys to, to throw to and I want to work you out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was always Jordan Riley were, were like the two guys I, I went to because they were obviously trying to get into the league as well. So I hit Riley up. He's like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can be there. And I hit George up and George is like, yeah, dude, I, I don't know if I, if I can make it. I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You don't know if you're, he's like, I'm, I'm going to be going out on, it might've been like a Thursday night. I'm like, bro, come on. Like, that's fine. You can go out. Just, just, can you please be there at noon tomorrow to catch? That was like, at noon. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. That's rough, man. That's rough. And, and George was like, oh. yeah, I'll be there, but I'll tell you, I'm gonna be hung over as shit. And I was like, I was like, all right, that's fine. Just, and uh, you know, lesson to George, like he killed it, I guess. You know, and he, he did good enough in that workout to. I know the quarterback coach Rich went back and told um told Kyle and John about about his workout too. So he made an impression. And then actually on draft day, the, the 49ers had drafted me and they called me again in about the fifth round. It was um John, John Lynch and and or it might have been Kyle, I can't remember, but he was like, he was like, Hey man, so tell me about about Kittle. Well, what's uh what's the deal with him? And I was like, I, I they were like basically saying, would you, would, I was like, yeah, I would No, no, that they were like, would, <laughs> would you want him as a teammate on your team? I was like, Oh, of course there's, there's no one else I would rather have as a teammate on my team. And I, I guess they were asking some, some questions about uh, like freshman year, like having too much fun or something. I was like, man, I was like, you know, George liked to have fun, you know, early in, in his college career. And uh, but, you know, throughout his year, he's gotten so much more mature and, and he's a great player. I'm telling you right now, uh, you guys would be done not to draft him or whatever. And then uh, a few minutes later, George Kittle gets drafted. It was uh, it was really cool. Bam! Yeah. It was 146. Yeah. 
That was, I will say something, cool. that was like my best workout was ever was, was with you with the Niners. Mm -hmm. And I was, cause I, I think I went to bed at like 6 a.m. Yeah, what did you do that night? I don't even know. It was, it was, I think the workout, the workout was on was on Wednesday because I think it was like a Tuesday night at Summit. Mm -hmm. And me and Cole Crossan went out and because we had Wednesdays off in the workout program at Iowa. Like Wednesdays was a total off. Yeah. Hey, let's yeah. go have fun on a Tuesday night. And um went to bed at like 6 a.m. I woke up at 10 a.m. or like 9 30. You call me like twice, and I was like, I'm, I'm not gonna make it, man. Like, I just, I'm like, dude, you happen. gotta come. Like, you're like, no, 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 like, you have to show up. Yeah. And I was like, I went and sat in the hot tub at the stadium for like two hours, just trying to get my mind right to go out there, mm -hmm. just drinking as much water as I possibly could. And like I said, I went out there and I think I had the best workout of my entire life. And the entire, I didn't get within like 10 feet of Skang because I reaped about Yeah, you did not want to get that close to him. So yeah all that hey, what's up <laughs> yeah all that stuff from his freshman year yeah he's over it he's so much more mature now yeah <laughs> yeah that, that's what that's what i told him at least i was like yeah no he's not like he, he liked to party freshman year but yeah he doesn't do that anymore very um, reserved now yeah because i think you you didn't get a, a ticket riley did but you were with them right uh no i know what you're talking about I mean, I remember fr freshman year because y'all were. I mean, I was redshirted too, but I always had to travel or whatever. Yeah, we didn't have to travel. Yeah, and, and so y'all would y'all would go out or whatever. And, we thoroughly uh, enjoyed downtown Iowa City my freshman year. That was a yeah. blast. <laughs> as, as freshmen should. Okay, uh, let's see, CJ. Uh, do you have a secret talent that no one might know about and would be surprised about? I mean, the guitar. I can play the guitar. Uh, what would you say, Emma? I said, are you really good at braiding Lila's hair? Not yet. No, I, I can braid hair though, but no, I haven't. Um, I got but, something for you guys. CJ ooh. is ambidextrous and he can throw better with his left arm. I don't know if you still can, like, cause I know your shoulders sore sometimes, but mm. you can throw a better ball with your left arm than I can with my right. And it's very frustrating sometimes. Yeah, yeah that, that's true. And then another thing, ping pong, I'm very, real good at ping pong. Me and Trent Taylor. Dude, and bad. Yeah, really competitive in general. I, I, CJ, I've heard you're a competitive person. I want to say, yeah. you're actually it's not a limb. CJ, like, I think I've said this in like, anytime I get asked about you, you're literally like, I'm like, yeah, he's literally the most competitive person of all time. He hates to lose at anything. It doesn't really mm -hmm. matter what it is. And so that's almost, why everything. You almost where people don't even want to, they're like, ah, I don't, I don't want to play. It's just going to get too heated. If it's like, yeah, it's like, like small. You're try way too hard dog. Yeah. And you're just like, no, dude, I won't. I won't. I won't try it all. Yeah. And then, then it happens. Yeah. <laughs> We'll say, I think, CJ, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about the time I beat you in a throwing competition, but yeah. one time I did beat you and your brother in a game of cornhole at my place. It's the first time I ever seen you lose. That one, that 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 one was another like cornhole. He's so mad. You guys looked at each other and you're like, "Are you serious right now?" We were, yeah, it was me and Clay. Oh. Then we started, we started getting mad at each other. Like, Come on, Clay, make the shot. He's like, "You make the shot." I'm like. I'm like, pull your weight, man. And then, and then we, me and Clay were like, we're, we're going to keep playing until we beat them. Like, and we kept, like, come on, let's play again. Let's play again. Like, no, or whatever. And then, George, no, that's what made me so mad. George was like, no, we're done. I was like, no, you play us again. I was like, play us one more time. He's like, no, we're good. We, we're going to go out winners. Sure, dog. It was you and Rob. And I was like, dude, you guys are making me so mad. It's so funny. Like, I'm not lying. Like, when I say, because you used to play with Josie Jewel, you two would always team up. And I literally never, like, you guys never lost. Mm -hmm. You would just abuse everybody in it. And so 
I would find I was like, yeah, me and Rob will take you guys on because Clay was really good too at it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, why are you guys all so good at it? But yeah. we, I was just like, I was like, I'm done. Like I have peaked. This is the probably the best moment of my entire life. Like, I have peaked. Walk it off. Walk off. I was done. I was done. I went and got another Bud Light seltzer and I enjoyed myself. Drop the mic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Cornhole champions from Franklin, Tennessee. Hold your weight. All right. So before we move on completely from Iowa, um, do you have a favorite um, Iowa memory, like football? Like, do you have a favorite game or? What was your oh, – yeah, you tell me. Like, what was one of your favorite moments? Honestly, pr- probably – I mean, that, that whole 2015 season was just just magical in, in, in and of itself. Like, I mean, that Big Ten championship game was – looking back on it, that's still one of the most fun games I've ever played in. It still, still hurts not to win that, but that was such a fun game. Um, I mean, that whole year was awesome. Uh, but – yeah, I think I think it'd be hard to pass up on that Michigan game our senior year. That I mean, I've never been a part of this uh, uh, field storm or whatever or whatever it's called storm in the field. That, that was I think the only one that that I've ever uh, been a part of. Um, and it was were, just really cool. They were number two, right? They were number two, yeah. And you you won that game. I didn't play. Our starting left tackle Cole Crossan didn't play. Yeah. Um, our starting corner Greg Maven was out. Like we were missing a bunch of seniors that were starters, and the play of the game was the very end when you're in a QB draw and like what was it like it was like second and five or something like that for like twenty yeah. yards. Yeah, it was a quarterback draw got like yeah, Jabril Peppers uh, ended up tackling yeah. that thing. But oh, dude, it was but that was a, that was a cool game. That was such a fun experience. I don't think he had a great game that day, though. He did not. He did Jabril not. did not. No. Uh-uh. No. Welcome to Iowa. Welcome to Iowa outside zone. One of my favorite, favorite, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite historical facts about Iowa and Michigan is that the last two times that Harbaugh was in Michigan, he was the number two team, and once as a coach versus us and lost, and then once as a player when he was a quarterback for Michigan and they lost on the last second field goal as well. I was on That's the awesome. Whew, That's I mean, so cool. I love the fact that they went into the pink locker room and, and covered it all up with, with oh the my wallpaper. That, the, the pink locker room is, it's just, if you don't talk about it, it's not an issue, but they went and they sent their entire equipment staff over early and put stickers and covered up all the pink everywhere. So it was all like Michigan. Even the urinals. Then they yeah. lost. And then they left it there for our equipment managers to pick up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but we had the last laugh. <laughs> yeah. And they canceled on Iowa this year. Oh no! They they knew it was up. They knew they were going to get killed. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, all right. You are a big sports guy, like you said. Your family, long history in football and all the other stuff. So, who's one of your favorite sports characters of all time? Could be football or not. And like when you were growing up, who who's kind of the guy on the wall, or maybe woman, whatever. And yeah. Uh, uh, why would there be a favorite? Definitely Junior Seau. Junior Seau was my favorite play. He's a linebacker for the Chargers. So my grandpa was the GM of the Chargers at the time. So I, I really grew up going to their camps and, and training camps and stuff. And um, I remember Junior Seau would come to my grandpa's house and we'd, we'd, be, we'd be in town in San Diego. And just I thought he I had his jersey, would wear his jersey ever. Like he was my favorite, favorite player growing up. I wanted to be Junior Seau and um, just seeing the, the – the work he would put in. I remember watching him in the weight room and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, he's always been my favorite player. That's really cool. I, I mean, I remember That's awesome. he, he was a great player. So he was so mm-hmm. fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. 
tragic early departure as well. So that's a tough one. Well, then thinking about uh, like some of the great players and or just sports people, but what are some traits that you see in common between, you know, high performance type athletes? I mean, do they have some common things that you see that help them be successful? Yeah, I think usually the, you know, a lot of the best, the best players in the league that, I, that I've seen are, are the hardest workers on the team. I think, um, I mean, you can go, you can go, you know, oh, oh, shoot, my bad. I thought you were saying something. Um, you can go from college and to the NFL. It's usually, um, you know, you tell your, your kids and stuff that, that, hey, if you work hard, you know, things are going to work out. And, you know, once you get to the NFL, it's, it's real true. Obviously, talent plays plays a big part, but talent can only take you so far. You, you got to have a, you know, real hard work ethic. And, um, you know, I see that with, with guys in the NFL. I remember, um, I mean, just being around Richard Sherman, it's, it's been cool. And just the leader that Sherman is, uh, you know, he, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Um, he's left an impact on me. I'm sure George, too, just uh, – just a leader he is on the team. Um, guys respect him every time he's talking. Guys are, guys are paying attention and stuff. So it's been awesome to, to play with Sherman these last couple of years. Well, very cool. But let me just on that trail. So tell me about being a leader in the NFL. What does that mean? Because it seems really different. I think, you know, high school and college, we get this idea of it's a little bit more rah-rah and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, in the NFL, you got guys who are seven, eight, nine, ten-year NFL vets. And so the feel and the vibe's got to be a little bit different, right? So when you talk about Sherman being a leader, like what are the things that he does that makes a leader in the NFL? I think, you know, everyone, everyone's a different type of leader. I think uh, George is a lot different type of leader than I am. I mean, George is more uh, rah-rah. He likes to, you know, get fired up before games. I'm more, I mean, George will sometimes headbutt me and I'm like, dude, I was like, don't, don't headbutt me right now. Like I get so, I'm like, dude, that's, you just gave me a concussion or whatever. And, you know, we're two different type of leaders. I'm more, um, I guess, laid back or, or whatever. And, and George is more, I mean, you should see this dude on game day. This dude is amped up. I'm telling you, I've never seen someone. Can I pause right there? Okay, so George on game day, because of course, to George's standard, he has simmered down a little bit. Um, compare, and we can come back to this after we finish, but I want to know, um, George, in college, was he more crazy on game day or is George in the NFL crazier? I think in college, I think we were all just kind of scared to do the wrong thing in the locker room. <laughs> Sitting there like hey, on your phone, like, oh, I shouldn't be on my phone. You know, I'm listening to music or whatever. I think we were all on like on edge trying not to, you know, because uh, I think yeah, I George is able to be more of himself now, just whether it be yelling or screaming. Um, going to the bathroom, puking before every game or just, you know, doing whatever he does to get himself ready. It's like everyone has a different way of going about it in the NFL. And, and you see that on game day. Everyone does it differently. Some guys will sit there and meditate. Some guys will sit there and, um, you know, rap to themselves, rap, rap to themselves, which is, which is kind of annoying because I'm sitting there. I'm more of a guy. It's just like, I'll sit there and pray and, uh, kind of go through the game plan in my head, and then you got Jeff Wilson and, and Lakin just singing, rapping. And I'm like, loud, yeah. like loud, walking around. I had my this past game versus the Cardinals. <laughs> my locker was so they had these plastic walls up between us, and Jeff Wilson's right here, and he's just going like this, rap. I mean, and it I, worked. No, it no, worked. Yeah, Jeff Wilson, go to your dark place, do whatever you have to do because I love you as a football player. 
but that was like my first experience sitting next to Jeff. And I was like, because the, the plastic wall just bangs again. I'm just getting hit by a plastic <laughs> wall. I'm like, what is going on right now? Uh, yeah. The last game, so Josh Rosen had just, just gotten here last game. Oh, yeah. I remember we were sitting there, and you had just thrown up. Like, you just puked. And Josh yep. was like, oh, dude, is he sick? I'm like, no, nah, he just does that every game. I was like, just saying, like, no, he does that every game. He's good. Like, that's his thing. Don't worry about it. He does it every game. Yeah, so. Welcome to the team, Josh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trash can's big enough for the both of us, man. Let's go. Well, all right. Well, see, you're talking about kind of game prep, but, you know, the mental aspect, the mental aspect in sports, obviously really huge. So, um, and I know you're a little bit quieter and reflective and all that, but what, how has your mental game kind of evolved from high school to college into here? And and I know as a quarterback, the mental aspect is huge because of all the stuff you guys got to learn and know. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just mean like, whether it's, positive self-talk versus negative self-talk, affirmations, visualizations. I mean, I don't know. How, how has your mental prep game kind of evolved over the years? And what do you what do you do now that is effective for you? I think, I mean, as you all know, I'm a, I'm a real strong Christian and, and, and my faith is a big part of that. Uh, you know, I like to, to pray and get in the word before before games or the night before. And it just kind of puts me at peace and just knowing that that, you know, the Lord's got me where I am for a reason. And you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to go out and, and do everything that I can do to, to perform on the f- field and, and be prepared and, and, and whatnot and and really let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to go out and have fun. You know, it's kind of my mindset this week is uh, I got nothing to lose. We got nothing to lose as a team. Um, so I'm going to go out and just and try and have fun and, and, and let it rip. Um, and, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, do you – I mean, with your game plan now, I mean, I know you watch a ton of film. You study, you know, secondary coverages, obviously, all that, the blitz packages. Do you spend some time doing visualization as to either checking off maybe a blitz or throwing a pass down the seam or any of that kind of stuff? Do you, is visualization yeah. part of the game? Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things I like to do is I go through the third down cutoffs. So we have third and two to six and seven to 11 and then 12 plus, and we have all our third down, our third down plays, you know, on, on pictures and whatnot. Um, I like to go by it formationally. So if we have a trips formation and we have these three trips plays on third down this week, um, then I'm going to look at all the trips uh, cutups on those third downs and how they played each one and kind of visualize how each play will play out. Mm-hmm. Okay. If they do this coverage versus, versus play, this is where I'm probably going to end up with the ball or this is my hot. I got to Here's where I'm going. If I'm hot or if they bring the pressure here, that type of stuff. So, yeah, I definitely do that type of um, visualization, if, if, if you call it that. Yeah. Well, last one on this, just because I, I just want to tell you, I think you're one of the most courageous players I've ever been around. I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, over the years, you know, you've, I, I don't know, we, we call it kind of football karma. Because mm-hmm. some of the opportunities you've had, particularly with the Niners, people don't always know, but like you've been down linemen, people have gotten hurt, you know, I mean, you, yeah. It's not like you've always had a full deck to play with, you know, as far as some of that kind of stuff. And I, I think you have once. And I just <laughs> felt. Yet still, last game, you're the lead blocker on a play. Yeah, that was good. And you yeah. cut it, dude. That's well, right. That's right. Well, like, ah, ah, ah. I just mean, though, like, I think that one year you set the record for most sacks by a rookie quarterback or so. I can't remember what it was, but it's just like, oh, my gosh, is anybody playing? You know what I mean? They were doing the this best they can. So. I guess I just I want to just offer that because you've always been an inspiration that way, like because of your competitive nature and you're just your zest for winning. 
And not just that, but just the spirit that you bring to the game. So that's always been really powerful for all of us and such an inspiration. And so honestly, and I mean, we love Nick and all that kind of stuff. So nothing there, but given all the stuff that has happened, you know, we're really grateful that you're getting this opportunity and we're super excited about this weekend and just that you have a chance to kind of demonstrate, you know, who you are. And um, I know we're down a few more people this week and it just, that's the way this season has been. So just have to find a way to overcome, but I still think that's really cool. And I just, I really, we want you to know that as a family that always really respected your play and what you bring to the game. So, and I, I appreciate and you, that, but you know, being competitive is one thing, but just having the toughness to get up every time. I mean, not very many people in life have been hit with a 285 pound defensive end ripping across the backside 320 pound or whatever. Time. Yeah. Just a three technique. Yeah. Coming flying off. And I've seen you take that and just, you know, take a breath and then stand up and go back to the huddle. So anyway, I mean, you want to see one of the best throws ever was chargers game guy comes mm -hmm. off back edge and you get smoked as you throw me a Chevy route. Um, and yeah. I don't even know how you saw me. You threw it so early and you, mm -hmm. I thought you died. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things. You took out, you took out just my, my left labrum is still torn. That's why I can't throw lefty that much anymore. I know. My legs are still torn from like, that play. Like, like he screws up his shoulder, right. takes out Joe Staley, hops up, and we go down and we finish the drive. How did you get Joe Staley? He got sacked into the back of Joe Staley's legs. Oh, yeah. Staley yeah. on the high. But I appreciate that, Bruce. That means a lot. Thanks for thanks for saying that. Well, anyway, so I hope you don't have to go through all that tomorrow. And I, I hope we can keep everybody on the field and we get rolling. So, all right, Emmy, you roll next. So, all right, we're diving into the fashion of football. Um, CJ, obviously, we can see um, how fashionable you are just sitting in your hotel room. So fashionable. About, um, so before the uh, before we hopped on this live, you were telling us about how. You decide what you're gonna wear the day before, um, <laughs> or the day of. The day of, yeah. You roll out and you're like, "This looks great." Mm -hmm. um, so, assuming that wardrobe has been slimmed even more since coming to Arizona, um, talk to us a little bit about, like, a little bit of like game day fashion pre-COVID, maybe, and then what you're working with now in Arizona. Well. There's not much difference, I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> it is not different. No, I've got steady. Away. I've That's what we love away. about you, man. You are like this. You just steady there. Consistent. I've never been a big uh, clothing guy. So I'm like, if if I have a like a choice, it's usually like a flannel and some jeans. That's like I like that. Um, some boots, but I've gotten away the last uh, last few weeks. I've probably worn like the same one every other week. Cause like no one's taking a picture of me or anything. I was like, right, I'm just gonna wear the same one. Like, <laughs> okay, I'll definitely Claire, wear something different this week. Though. Right That's funny. <laughs> That's good, right? Like ain't nobody watching, so what's the heck, right? Yeah, like well, I wear this to walk into the stadium and okay. leave the stadium. What's like? I feel like this is a pretty like a similar example though because um, of CJ kind of like. Like you pick something that's good and you stick to it. Um, mm -hmm. So this one time, um, now we're sponsored by Bud Light Seltzers. So we're going to pretend these were Bud Light Seltzers. They may have been a different type of seltzer before. But CJ shows up at a party and we're like, CJ, make sure you get the Bud Light Seltzers. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got this. Shows up, only brings the black cherry option. And everyone was giving him shit. And he's like, 
why would you drink the other flavors? This is the only good flavor. Mm. If I have to go to the fridge and the other flavors and all the other flavors are gone and I have to drink something besides black cherry, I'm going to be pissed. So I'm only bringing this. It only oh makes sense. Because well, I knew people, when they go in there to pick the selection of the three different flavors, the first flavor everyone's going to get is the black cherry. And that's the <laughs> one that I like. So I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm not going to even give people, I'm just going to get all black cherries. So then everyone's winning, you know what I mean? Every time I buy them now, I look in there and I always think of you. I'm like, just get the black cherry. <laughs> totally down. Okay. So all I know is, and I, I would enroll with you guys during your Iowa days, but every time I've ever seen you show up for, a, you know, going out kind of thing at a house, you always walk in with the exact same bottle. What is it? Every time. What is it? Yeah probably, yeah, probably Jack Daniels, right? Yeah, yeah well, and Electrable. Yeah. And Electrable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Electrable's making an appearance every once in a while. They will. Yeah. <laughs> hey, CJ, like back to back times, I don't, I think it was my birthday. He got me like a handle of Jack Daniels because I don't really drink whiskey, but he's like, yeah, I know that every time I come over, there'll be Jack Daniels here. It's like you don't have it here. So now when I come over, you'll have it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, anytime we know you're coming, we know what to buy. So we, we do have Jack Daniels. I'm actually, I might be sipping on something like that. Well, wait, CJ, you showed, you told me you had a pair of shoes. So oh, let's yeah, see your show, shoes. Us, show us your shoes show us for your fashion. Shoes. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, these are uh, one, another one of my idols growing up in football, Mike Vick. So I got the, yes. the, the Vicks right here. Uh, probably going to wear those to, to the stadium. Um, you know, you, you look good, you feel good, you play good. And Mike yeah. Vick's just the man. So shout out, Mike Vick. Where are the Mike Vick cleats? Yeah, I love those. Growing up, so, yeah. I was at like sixth, seventh grade. Those were awesome. Mm -hmm. They were so cool. Yeah. Right. Well, these been are looking for a pair since. They, they're, they're fresh. Oh, those are nice. These are the Iowa, Iowa colors. Dunks. Yep. These are the Iowa Dunks. They came out a couple of weeks ago. My wife got me them for Christmas. Today. I think, oh, I saw, the, I saw those at Marshall's. No. <laughs> That's shit. I that was nice. I almost bought that same pair. Uh, <laughs> I, got the, I got the family discount. <laughs> but no, those are cool. I like them. These are awesome. And they're Iowa. And we're talking about we're talking about uh the Iowa Children's Hospital. We're talking to CJ Beathard. Yeah. So why not wear the Iowa dunks, baby? Uh, wow. Someone this is, a right, this is the uh leave the timeouts, take the pig. This is uh, for those of you who don't know, <clears throat> the Iowa Minnesota rivalry in football Floyd. has Floyd of Rosedale, which is a pig. If you look up the story, the very first rivalry, they had an actual pig that the winner got. For, for years they did that. For years. Yeah. And then they realized there's a lot of maintenance. So let's just make a giant pig. And now the trophy, what? It's a giant bronze trophy. What does yeah. it weigh? CJ, what, like 100 plus pounds? It's a lot. It's way, it's heavy. It's it's massive and it's amazing. It's my, it's the best trophy in football, like in rivalry games, in my opinion. I love mm -hmm. that thing. Hey, you know, this that thing's been on because it was there when I played. And the first time you go over to grab that thing, because everybody says it's heavy. <laughs> And you go to pick it up, it's like, oh, shit, I better wait for a couple of guys. Yeah, you're like, it takes a few guys to get it. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, 100%. there's not, nothing better than Sorry, that. Sorry, anyway, the sweatshirt is for Iowa. And first year when we played them this year is 2020. And um, we were up like 35 to zero. And Coach Ferentz used all three timeouts on defense to try to not let him score. And then mm -hmm. this quote after the game, you know, I thought I'd leave the timeouts here and take the pig. So I'm glad they made a sweatshirt out of it because this thing is sick. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. Like it. Okay. All right. So we're fashioned. Okay. Uh, let's see. So a uh, little bit of football. So Niners are rolling in. We got the Seahawks coming up this weekend. 
Um, so it's obviously been very unusual year given everything between injuries and COVID and transplanting here to Arizona. So CJ, I just was wondering kind of, you know, in your perspective, cause you've been through a lot and you, you know, so with Jimmy going down early, obviously kind of your role in the whole thing, even though Nick was playing there for a bunch, I mean, kind of changed. I mean, you were right on deck all the time and now here you are, but like, what are some of the lessons maybe from this year? You know, what have you picked up as far as kind of all this, you know, just it's been utter chaos for the most part. And you guys have done the very best you can. And Shanahan has, you know, just trying to keep the ship on course and all that kind of stuff. But what are some lessons and takeaways that you've picked up from this year as you're thinking back? Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, there's been a lot of obstacles this year for, for us as a team, uh, starting with the injuries early in the year. And then um, obviously having to move move out here to Arizona for, for six weeks or however long it's been. Um it's been it's been tough, but you know I feel like the guys have handled it really well, and uh, they've done a good job at you know adapting to the to the situation. Um, you know, no one's no one's going to sit here and make excuses because um, everyone has had to deal with the whole coronavirus or whatever. And but you know we are the only team that's had to pull up our roots and, and move to a different state for for half the year, a third of the year. Um, you know, it, it's been tough, but. Yeah, I think we've learned a lot about our team. We've had a lot of guys able to get in there and, and play some some quality time that that might not have been able to to get in there and play, whether it be because of guys on the COVID list or guys getting hurt. And uh, I, I think it's you know been we've learned a lot about ourselves as a team. And you know, Kyle's saying not, uh, not too long ago about he believes you know all this stuff happens for a reason. He thinks that this season is going to help better prepare us and prepare our mindset for going into next season. And I, I, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, and, and I think it helps getting a lot of these guys, uh, you know, obviously selfishly speaking myself uh, in their playing, you know, it's exciting to play where uh, it's been one of those years that going in the year as a number three, um, not dressing, it's kind of hard to see like, yeah, I don't, you know, maybe it's another year where I just am not dressing out the whole year. Um, but it just goes to show you how quick that can change. And, uh, you know, and you always have to be be ready no matter what and, and be prepared to, to go in there and play. And play you shall. And play at high level, yeah. which is really fun. It's really fun, yeah. yeah. So thinking about last week, so beat the cards, which nobody saw coming. You know, you guys were anywhere from five to seven point underdogs. Yeah, I did. Well, My we all did, yeah. we all did. Like, yeah, we were. Mm -hmm. we were Jan knew. We were, Jan. we were talking smack on the neighborhood already. You know, like it was done. We knew that. Yeah. Uh, but you had a great game. Played. I know your QB rating was out the roof, one twenty something, I think, or whatever that is stuff is. So, um, but you played really well. You showed that speed off the back end on the QB zone read stuff. You know, you that, that, that was pretty dude. cool. So, mm -hmm. so just you know, just you know, there you go. Beginning of the season, you know, you're not dressing. You know what I mean? And then. Then you go to dress and you're hanging out and then you watch all that. And it's a very frustrating, difficult time for everybody. And then you come in. So how, how, what were the feelings about getting the start uh, and picking up that win? It just had to feel really, really good. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was huge for, for just our team, I think, but, but me in general, just being the week that it was with uh, it being the year anniversary of my brother passing it, it like it had so much meaning for behind it. And it, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was one of my favorite wins that I've been a part of just personally speaking. Uh, I know it meant a lot to, to my family and just, just the way the guys went about it. You know, we really didn't have much business winning that game with, 
you know, our defense was down a lot of guys and, you know, off, offensively we were down a lot of guys and, and they, they went out there and fought and played, you know, extremely well and, and battled their butts off. And, uh, you know, I just, I couldn't say more to the, to the team and, and the way the guys played. I, you know, I hope we can carry it on into this week in another situation where, you know, no one, no one expects us to win. Uh, so, you know, like, again, we got nothing to lose. So uh, hopefully we can, you know, go out there and play inspired and, and, and come out of here with a win. Yeah. Well, no, you guys did a, it was a great thing and great job and being ready to go and you guys all played and everybody did rally. And really, I thought that was the best defensive. I mean, they played some great ball all year. They've been down some people, but just collectively, and that's one in the fourth quarter and not to mention any names, but didn't, shouldn't even been close, you know, coming down the stretch, you know, we wouldn't mm -hmm. even have to worry about that. So, um, but anyway, uh, it's uh, all really good. So well, Seahawks, I know you watched a bunch of tape and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're obviously playing because they want to win the division. And uh, fun fact, uh, if the Niners actually beat Seattle within the division, you guys would have the best record within the division. Four and two, baby. So, which is kind of interesting in there here. You guys are sitting on the outside, but you're in a beating two, what looks like two playoff teams. Maybe the cards will or won't make it. I'm kind of guessing they probably will. But um, so anyway, so, well, what do you expect them? You know, I know they're, they're playing, their defense is playing out the roof right now. So if anything about that, we know Russell Wilson's going to be, as Russell Wilson always is, he's going to give people fits and he'll play at a very high level. But just uh, what are you seeing and kind of, you know, what's the challenge and what do you think we got to overcome in order to try to get that victory? Yeah, I think they're playing at a real high level defensively. They're they're doing a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of pressures. You know, obviously they got that guy Jamal Adams over there who's, who's a good player. They like to to bring him and, and pressure him, and and then Bobby Wagner is another guy they like to blitz a lot. And um, so I think they're playing good collectively as as a defense. And and then on their offensive side, they got that Russell Wilson over there who just kind of does his thing and and plays his style of football. It's been real real successful since he's been in the league, you know, uh, you know, we got our hands full, but, you know, I really like the, the game plan we put together. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think it gives our, it gives ourselves our best shot at, at get coming out of there with a win. And um, that's what we intend to do. And, and I'm going to go in there um, and do everything we can to, to come out of there with a win. I like it. We are so yeah. excited. And so this is, so just for us, right. This is the longest, period of time our family has gone for I don't know how many years without being able to go to a football game and they get to go to one this weekend so we so because we're the home team because last week the cards were home and so they only leave let home team so well, so Claire and I have gone but it's Bruce and Jan yeah because yeah, yeah. we, we weren't here when they made that last home game so That's this awesome. is Jan and I's very first home game so we're excited mom how many games did you miss last year uh, none I, none zero yeah. yeah Jan went to every game last year and and show them this one in 2018. Yeah. So, so we've kind of this Niner thing's kind of been a thing for us, you know what I mean? So, anyway, it's been yeah. pretty fun. So, anyway, so it's been a really different year for us. So, like, I'm trying to get my head around. So, like, you know, I'm actually going to get up and go to a game on Sunday. So, we're pretty excited about that. And I'm very excited to watch you play and you and George kind of reconnect a little bit. So, anyway, so good luck with everything. We'll be thinking about you, keeping you our hearts and prayers. And we know you guys are going to have just just uh, playing at a really high level, given everything, and it's going to be really exciting. So we're mm -hmm. super excited for that. So, all right. Um, Emmy, you want to jump on that? I would love to. Okay. I want to jump on it. Okay. Oh, go, Jay, okay. go. So now, CJ, we're going to go on. Hey. With the, the... Hi, CJ. 
we're going to go to the part about service and giving back. And so really the whole thing behind this, you know, Hidden Pearls, we talk about um, giving back and charities that you know, guests and that we like. And so Bruce will, and Emma interview them. They talk about charities um, and they highlight them and they bring awareness to them. And so what we just want to talk about is like, so when you were a, when you were a kid and when you were growing up in Franklin, Tennessee with your family, like, did you guys do much of like volunteer work or do you work with charities much or, you know, especially like, and how has that gone from when you're, you know, in Franklin to when you're at Iowa? Cause I know you and me worked at the Iowa Children's Hospital as much as we possibly could, because it was such an easy and it was also really fun. Um, and then to the NFL, cause I think you've done some of the, um, I think you've done some of the Thanksgiving stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Marshall's Kitchen, the con- yeah, then the Christmas thing, Convoy of Hope. Um, how has that changed for you or have you always been kind of consistent with that in your entire life? Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, giving back to your community or, or the community that you're in is a big part, especially as like professional athletes as part of your like duty to, to help and with like the stuff that we're blessed with, whether it be um, our contracts or, or whatever it is. Uh, I think it's part of our job is to give back and, and help out where we can, whether it be, doing the, um, you know, the Martha's Kitchen type stuff or whether it be just helping out somebody on the street, uh, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, definitely uh, my, my cause for my cause, my cleats this year was Frank Down Open Hearts. It's a it's in Franklin. It's a it's a charity for for kids that um, don't uh, underprivileged kids in, in, the, in the Franklin area that don't necessarily have maybe family figures at home and and uh, that need just help in, in that sense. Uh, it goes back to Clay. Clay was real into giving back and and into the inner city youth in, in Franklin. And uh, so that's what my, my cause, my cleats is for. And actually, yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. So, so it was actually Maddie's idea. Maddie uh, raised a lot of money, ended up providing Christmas for, I think it was like 31 families this Christmas through through a Venmo thing that she decided to put together in Clay's honor, which was really cool. Um, you know, I couldn't, you know, be more proud of her for, for doing that. And she did in, in, you know, in honor of Clay and, and ended up providing Christmas for, like I said, like 30 families. Uh, so that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the name of that? The, my cause, my cleats this year that you did in Franklin? Uh, what was it? it was Frank town, open hearts. Franktown Open Hearts. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to, you might have to shoot that to us. We'll throw that in the notes for people if they're interested in checking them out okay, and or cool. donating to, to try to help them. So George yeah. already mentioned, uh, you've always done my cause, my cleats. You've worked with a lot of the organizations uh, already um, that we've sponsored this year, you know, between um, uh, Martha's Kitchen and Cowboy Hope, City Team, Men's Program, Crucial Out, Catch, Crucial Catch, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, all right. So then at Iowa, just a note, I found. So your nickname? Do you remember your nickname back at Iowa? Probably Sunshine. Uh, there Sunshine. you go. Yeah, I'll say, I was yeah. gonna say. Wait, I was gonna say we were talking about fashion, and you, sir, have had a serious fashion statement whenever you grow your hair out. Mm-hmm. So hey, I, was, uh, I was one of the first, one of the first it? at Iowa to do it. Why did you cut it again? Oh, um, this past year. Well, I, I kind of just let it, let it grow out. Like I, I started growing it out probably about a year ago around this time. And it was one of those things I remember I always ask Clay, I'd be like, hey, Clay back, dude, 
keep it going, keep it going, or keep your beard. Like my beard look start looking scruffy and, and scraggy or whatever. And and I'd be like, yeah, I need to shave it. He's like, no, dude, that's sick. I like it. And keep it. I was like, all right, I'll keep it. So that's kind of what I was doing with the hair. Just kind of letting it go for really about a year. And then um, that's about to, it was the right time about a week ago or a week or two to, to get it cut. And uh, yeah, now George has got like the longest hair on the team. I think his was longer. Anyways. Well, I was going back. So here's what I found. So your nickname was Sunshine there because when you showed up from high school, right, you had long hair or at least mm -hmm. you grew it out. All right. And then uh, based on the dude that from Remember the Titans, great football movie. And then in 2015, you did a little stint for wigs for kids and you cut your hair and donated it. So there you are trying to help out and, and do some good stuff. So pretty cool. Well, so George already mentioned you guys, the U of I Children's Hospital. Do you want to tell us a little bit about because you guys did a lot. And uh, we talked to a uh, former player director there today uh, about uh, from uh, Broderick Benz. Uh, who was there after Chick. Anyway, some of the stuff that you guys do, but just a little bit about being enrolled at, uh, you know, when you're at Iowa with part of the football program, some of the stuff you guys did, in particular the U of I Children's Hospital and how that impacted you guys and your participation there. Yeah, I, thought, I think the whole, the Children's Hospital is such a cool thing because we really got to see it kind of go up uh, as freshmen there as being built and all the money raised at the, um, the ladies football academy we raised you know thousands of dollars cook miss ferentz and um mary ferentz and coach ferentz would put that all together raise all that all that money for for the children's hospital over years ended up being a big part of um putting that thing up and just seeing that go up over the years and then now seeing the tradition that's become with the wave is like it's so cool i think it's the coolest tradition in football and uh sure, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, George, George used to do the same thing. We used to go, um, go to the hospital and, and meet with, with kids that, whether it be the, the cancer or, or certain diseases or, or whatnot, would definitely go there and, and kind of hang out with them. It was one of those things that, that was really cool. It really, it really blesses you to do that kind of stuff and makes you feel good and, and just see, seeing these kids and seeing the smiles on their faces and the, and the positivity that the, through through everything that they're going through, um, really is an inspiration to to me. I'm sure it was for, for you too, George. But it was one of those oh, things sure. that, that I I enjoyed doing. Well, yeah, and then because like you said, we had because when we were first there, that's when it was like there was a hole in the ground, and they're like, yeah, this yeah. is going to be the Iowa Children's Hospital, and they had like some pictures and stuff. We're like, oh, that's really cool. And then like you said, like the Ferences do a great job because they do the. What's the event we do usually do in the summer, like Women's Football Academy? Or Ladies like Football that. Academy. Yeah. Ladies Football Academy. And, um, like, that was always fun because the money would always be raised. And that they their goals are raised $1 million. I think they raised, like, well, I think, didn't they raise over 2 or something like that? Like, they did a they fantastic raised a lot, job. Yeah. ton of money. Um, but it was so much fun because we kind of grad we graduated before it was completely done. Mm -hmm. And then – we got to go back. Um, this was last season. We went back for an Iowa football game during our bye week and we got to take a tour of like the top floor where they do the wave from. And it was just such a cool, it was, it just like, you said like an instant flashback of like, Hey, we were there as freshmen and there was this hole in the ground. And now we're 10 stories up or looking mm -hmm. down in the stadium that's across the street. And like, we were kind of a part of the family that helped, you know, create this dream and this vision. And it was just, it was, I, don't know, I thoroughly enjoyed being able to walk through the Iowa Children's Hospital and especially like after we had gone there, you know, being able to go on the lower floors or even in a different side of the hospital 
Um, but seeing it completely done and being able to be up there and then because we were part of the wave too on that Saturday on the sideline, like that was awesome. That, that was such a cool experience for sure. I thought that was, that was really cool. I, I enjoyed doing that. It was, it was so cool. All right, dad, you want to wrap it up? We'll wrap. Yeah. Our Emmy can. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, so uh, see, just, you know, cause you guys have been involved in a lot of stuff. I don't know. Give you an opportunity to make a pitch. What would you tell folks who are listening who think, wow, C.J. Beathard is one of the most inspirational fellows I've ever heard talk. Ever. I want to be like C.J. What would you encourage people? So here we are at the end of the year. 2020 has been tough on a lot of people. You know what I mean? And I mean, we've all kind of weathered that. It's been hard with the Niners and all that kind of stuff. But in the grand scheme of things, compared to being evicted from your house or losing a job and all that kind of stuff. So it's been a tough year that way. So, but if people want to, you know, what would you say to people wondering about how they could reach out or do some help or that kind of thing? Like uh, reach out to me, is that what you're saying? Well, or just in general just, in the local area, or, you know, just doing something. I mean, I, you've already made a pretty good pitch with that. I know you, you're not overly involved with you by Children's Hospital. I think you, you did a little something last summer, right? We did that Zoom with them. Yeah, we did a Zoom. Yeah. I think you did a Zoom too. Didn't you do it with Josie? We, uh, no, I, I didn't uh, make it on that. Unfortunately. All right, well, we'll do it again this year. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I mean, I guess, you know, if you want to make a pitch on that, let's, well, let me just ask you this then. So at the end of the year, we're just kind of, we always like to end the program or the show. We're talking about where people are finding hope. Mm -hmm. um, so you've had a lot of reflection over this year and we've been talking about giving back to others. So as you're looking into 2021, you know, what are the things that you're finding in your life that give you hope? Yeah, for me, uh, I mean, I would tell anybody, I mean, life is tough. There's so many ups and downs, whether it be with your job or, or you know, losing somebody that, that you love or your relationship or any of that kind of stuff. I would say for anybody, you need to find, a, you know, that, that base, the, the rock. And and for me as a Christian, it's my faith in, in, in Jesus Christ. Is, I've found it more than any year of my life that that's, you know, I need that to if, if, if your rock or your base is solid, then, um, you know, things may, may come at you, uh, struggles may come at you, but you know that deep down inside, um, you're solid in there. And I think over this year that that's, uh, that's really what's gotten me through is that foundation and that base. And um, with all the stuff that's, whether it be, you know, starting or not starting or having a bad game or a good game it just it doesn't matter what what happens is 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 you know your foundation what it is and you know your worth and um that's what i would just encourage people to to find that that rock that that foundation that that doesn't matter what's going on you know around you 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 know inside what um what who you are type of thing and um that that's really what's gotten gotten me through this this year Right. You don't want to build your house on a sand foundation, but yet find the rock so that in storms, times of trouble, it will hold fast. Mm. So there you go. So is that a Bruce Kittle quote right there? No, that's biblical, man. I just can't remember which where it was from, but that's yeah, you don't yeah, want to. Do, do, have a, do you have a favorite verse? Uh, like yeah, one? actually, uh, Psalm 27 one is my favorite. It, it's actually the verse tat tattooed on my chest, me, Tucker and Clay all had the same um, tattoo. Um, it's Psalm 27. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? 
How did your dad and mom feel when you showed up with tattoos with your brothers? No, I was say that, that's a funny story in and of itself. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, so forgot, my, dad, my dad found out on social media because Tucker posted it, I guess, on his Instagram. My dad doesn't have Instagram, but my aunt does. And my dad was still at work when me, me and Tucker went and got it. And it was Tucker's idea to get the verse. And and I didn't really know the verse so well. I didn't have it memorized at the time. I just knew, like, yeah, I like that verse. And Tucker was kind of the, the leader of getting this thing done. So we went and got it. And then my dad comes home, and you could tell he's mad. He's like, so what'd you guys do today? And we're like, oh, nothing. Just, just hung out. Just kind of, he's like, you get a tattoo? And we're like, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, we, we did. We did. And he, he looks at me down now. He's like, okay, what is it? What's that verse? And I was like, oh, dad, I, I don't have the verse memorized yet, but I'm, I'm going to memorize it. And he's like, see, that's the problem. You can't go get something on your chest and wear it around on your chest and not know what it means and what it represents. And like it left a mark for me. I was like, I gotta memorize this thing now and then whatever. <laughs> and uh, but it was funny. And then Casey Beathard wisdom. I know, yeah. I know. So it was it was cool. Just a rule of thumb, right? If you're gonna get it tatted on your body, you at least ought to know what it means and know what it is, right? So yeah, cool. yeah, definitely. Well, I, knew I, knew what you, I knew I knew what it meant. I just didn't have it memorized. I was like, oh yeah, yeah I like that. That's a good verse. Let's get it. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. How many tattoos do you have? Two. Nice. The other one, the other one. Hey. All right. Well, Siege, we want to thank you. And I guess, you know, the other thing I just want to pull back because we're thinking about hopeful things. Um, I just thought your words too about appreciating each day that we have. And, you know, just knowing that at some point there is an end, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. sudden or tragic or maybe even if you live a long life, but really valuing and appreciating each day, whether it's the wind or the breeze or the sun or whatever it is. And, and then in, I think, too, the other piece about the hope is that we're on this planet, you know, to connect with other people, to reach out, you know, and build community and help others and do those things. So telling people that we care about them and that we love them. And so, and I think that's a whole thing as well. So I just wanted, you know, it's been really fun watching you mature uh, into the man that you are today and how responsible you are. And again, your grit and toughness has always been an inspiration. So we're going to be super loud on you. I don't know if you'll still be able to hear us or not, but we'll be as Probably. loud as we can. We'll try it. We'll be yelling, yeah. CJ, <laughs> CJ, we'll have our little chant going. So uh, we'll be all in and we're looking for a victory over the Seahawks. I want to thank you very, very much just for everything and, you know, for taking time in a very busy week for you to, to be with us on the podcast. So really appreciate it very, very much. So you, you are giving us hope. So it's, it's a great thing. So thank you. So I you appreciate guys. it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys. Thank you, CJ. All right, man. Take care. Good go Kick some butt. Our charity focus this week is the UI University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital in Iowa City, Iowa, proud home of the University of Iowa. <laughs> we are excited to have with us Broderick Bins, who has been intimately involved in helping coordinate the partnership between the UI football program and the University of Iowa Children's Hospital. He has a long history at the U of I that started as a player and then as a graduate assistant and then serving as the director of player development. He currently serves as director of diversity, equity, and inclusion within the University of Iowa athletic department. He joins us to talk about his involvement with the University of Iowa Children's Hospital, as well as his new job working on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So Broderick, we are super excited to have you here. 
Welcome to Hidden Pearls Podcast. No doubt. Thank Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. So a little background. Um, Broder was named Executive Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for all University of Iowa Athletics in July of 2020. He previously held the position of Director of Player Development since April of 2016. He was a four-year letterman for the Hawkeyes during his playing career and served on the Iowa coaching staff as a graduate assistant. So did BK. A little different years, but um, yeah. same, different path, years, yeah. same path. Same <laughs> Um, yeah. we, we did have face masks, though. I know it was a long time ago, but we had still had face masks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he had a very successful career as a defensive end for the Hawkeyes from 2008 to 2011, earning second team All Big Ten honors as a senior. That year, he was also named the Roy J. Carver Most Valuable Player for Defense. He was a three-year member of the Iowa Leadership Group during his career. Broderick has a BA in, in psychology and his master's in sports management. He and his wife, Kaylee. Kaylee? Kaylee, yeah. Kaylee have a daughter, Brooklyn, and a son, Bo. So, Broderick, welcome again. Thank you for being with us. You have a very interesting and diverse history at the University of Iowa, which seems to have equipped you nicely to be in the right position at the right time for this new position. Can you tell us, first of all, I want to know, number one, uh, what football number you were, what number were you in football when you played? 91. 91. All righty. Okay, and then um, what D, was- D Lyman like nineties, don't they? Come yeah, nineties. Keep it in the nineties for sure. Kind of edgy, you know, like oh, all totally. that. Oh yeah, nineties. Oh, totally. Nineties just says like I don't fit anywhere else. You know, exactly. Yep. All day long. All right. Um, so, can you please tell us about the journey to where you are now, how you ended up in this position, and what your current duties are? Yeah, so um, again, thanks for having me, but um, it's been a, uh, a wonderful journey for me, I would say. Um, when I first graduated from college, um, I had a brief stint uh, with the Arizona Cardinals, um, was there for maybe like a cup of coffee, got cut um, and realized, you know, that I wanted to, uh, to still affect uh, positively influence uh, the lives of the younger generations. And so uh, to me, coaching came naturally. Um, I don't know if uh, you guys know, but played for a guy at Iowa named Rick Krasinski. Um, yeah. He played at Notre Dame, the GA, and then he became a defensive line coach. Uh, he so side. He was an O-line guy with Joe yes. Moore way back in the day, Kirk's guy. And then he That's went right. up to the dark side on us. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Man, that was brutal, I think, you know, for everybody. That's right. That's right. Well, no God, doubt. So Then he left for Nebraska. And then, and then he left, and, 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 and that's a whole separate story. And I don't think we have time to get into that uh, piece of it. But, but anyway, I felt like uh, coaching was something that I wanted to get into. Uh, and so I was actually coaching football, basketball, and track at my high school, Creek Durham Hall in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and then in July of 2014, Coach Ferentz gives me a call, which is, which is awesome. Um, not many people get called by the head coach, but Coach Ferentz gave me a call and said, hey, um, I heard you're looking to get into coaching. Would you want to come back and be a GA? I said, of course, no doubt. My wife is from Anamosa, Iowa. So again, Iowa's home to me. So great, we're coming back home. Did that for a couple years, uh, and then I stepped into the role of player development. And to me, that transition was super important because Chicky Giassi was my player development guy when I was at Iowa. And so anytime I had a, a situation, anytime I, I just needed help or advice or wisdom or some knowledge, I always went to Chick. And so I said, man, like whenever I'm done playing, I would love to be in that position where guys uh, have this relationship with me um, that is like really, really positive. I mean, um, as a player development guy, 
I, I, I told this to every player. I don't care if you start. I don't care if you score touchdowns. Like, to me, all that stuff is bonus. Like, that's great if, you, if you're killing it on the field. I'm more worried about off-the-field issues. Your character, are you going to class? Are you showing up to tutors? Like, what's the – obviously, your grades. I mean, are you being an upstanding citizen when you're downtown, when you're out in public eye? That's the stuff that uh, really mattered to me when I was a player. And so Chick was that guy for me, and I wanted to be that guy for the student-athletes coming up. And so uh, when Chick ultimately got the job with the Tennessee Titans – being player enhancement, um, I figured it was just the right move for me just to move into that realm uh, of trying to positively influence um, student athletes within the football team. Um, so again, in that role, my main job was to help uh, our freshman student athletes transition from high school to college. So yes, no doubt, a lot of handholding, a lot of, um, would you say babysitting a little bit, you know, again, making sure guys are in class, you know, so I had to do class checks. Uh, making sure guys are showing up to the tutors. Um, I had to do curfew checks. I'm, I'm sure um, maybe George can attest to this, but some curfew checks that I had to do down there. And guy, when guys always saw me coming, man, they would scamper away. They would run. They were run away from me. But, uh, but anyway, so um, all that stuff was good. But um, to, to go back to answer your question fully, so I've always had a passion uh, when it came to DEI topics, um, when it came to um, kind of, always, I guess, feeling different. Um, my high school was a predominantly white Catholic high school. Um, and so I was one of 10 minority students in my high school, right? And so um, there were things that I had to do to navigate my life in high school that I kind of had to do at Iowa too. Um, you call it code switching and talking about all these other microaggressions and all these other buzzwords that are happening now, um, things that I had to experience at an early age. So when I got to college, there was times where I felt the same way and I knew I wanted to help out and kind of be a part of the solution, right? And so um, that's always been in the back of my mind. So now fast forward to 2018, I got the interim tag or trying to get the interim tag of this diversity position, 2019, I got it. And obviously now I have that position. And so uh, one of my, I, I guess I tell people the three things that I focused on is to make sure all, all student athletes can be their true authentic self, um, that they can uh, have good experiences and want to uh, graduate a Hawkeye. And then ultimately, um, again, like it's, it's, it's so, so important that these guys graduate for sure. I mean, and, and um, that's why, that's truly why my position was created was because our black male graduation rate um, at Iowa is not the highest. Um, we're actually towards the bottom. Again, if we can speak candidly, we're at the bottom. So uh, I'm trying to do some things to make sure that our, specifically our black males want to graduate at Iowa. They feel like they can be themselves and don't have to wear a mask. Well, Brady, let me just tie that connection then because I've heard you say, you said that a couple times in here about being themselves. And so, you know, I, I can't wear those shoes at all. You know what I mean? So um, I was an Iowa guy, as a white guy, went to Iowa and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was just like at home for me. But I mean, I'm hearing you say that. What, what are the connections between not being able to be yourself and not graduating? I mean, I'm hearing like, it feels like there is a connection in there. And so maybe could you play that out just a little bit for us? Like, what are some of the obstacles that come when, I'm not free to be myself. I can't talk or dress or act necessarily in a way that's not wrong, but not consistent with the predominant kind of culture within the organization. Yep. I'm stuck. So how, tie those together a little bit for us and, and what yep. happened. Yep. So um, 
being a minority player at Iowa, obviously it's a, it's a PWI campus, right? So uh, you already stick out, um, obviously just by the color of your skin, you stick out. Um, and so if you, if you cannot be yourself, if you have to conform or assimilate to be someone else, um, that means that this place isn't home. Right. One thing that we always harp, one thing that, that we always say, you know, Iowa has a family atmosphere. Well, is it truly a family atmosphere? Like, am I, am, am I, because again, in your family, regardless, right, there's, there's always, you know, like for me, my family, my younger brother, like that's who he is. Right. And, and, you know, he's a clown of the family. Me, I'm, I'm more serious. My older brother is the one who, who's good at money. My sister, right. You know, it just, Everyone has those different family dynamics, but if you cannot be yourself in a building that where I spend most of my time, right? Majority of, of my time is spent in this athletic silo. If I can't be myself, you know, that means that I don't want to be here, right? You preach to me family, like, like you're preaching to me that I'm your son, you're taking me in for Thanksgiving and in the summers, I have nowhere to eat, so you're helping me out. But is, is, it, is it that? Is that true? Um, and so uh, to me, like, that's the connection, right, is, is, is that if guys can't be themselves, if guys can wear their hair how they want to, if guys can dress how they want to without being looked at, because when I walk on campus, I'm already, like, eyes are already on me. Whether you're black or white, male, female, it doesn't matter. I think campus understands what a, what a student athlete looks like, right? And there's all those stereotypes that go into it, too, as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, to me, that, I think those are the connections. Okay, well, we'll unpack that just a little bit more then. And so, because I think what I'm really interested too is, and we'll come back to it is kind of in your current role, how it is that you're creating kind of a campus environment within the systems that exist uh, to help people be able to be themselves. Because it seems like a lot of really difficult conversations, a lot of education, a lot of awareness and all that kind of stuff. So um, we can kind of revisit that one. So let's see. Well, let's get to, I mean, you know, one of the things, so, Past year, the U of I football program was in the news after some former players came forward. So we had George Floyd and then a lot of stuff was coming out all over the nation. And then, you know, the stuff came out at Iowa. So complaining of different treatment within the program, allegations of bullying and just flat out racism in some situations, right? So there's some yeah. stories out there. So that led to some changes within the program, including discharge of the strength coach, Chris Doyle, a new oversight committee. And then obviously you were in this position, which I understand was kind of in the works, but yet, you know, so yep. there you are. So I guess, you know, so the one thing, you know, I'm not looking to kind of necessarily rehash everything, but I mean, you already touched on, because as a player, and then you were on the leadership committee. And then in that context, you would have been, I think in the player development position, maybe just evolving over there, but there was another report that came out that had raised some concerns. Um, and then all of that kind of stuff came out. So um, kind of what was your experience with all of that? How's maybe that evolved? And then tell us then a little bit more about how what you're doing in that new position. Yeah, so um, obviously it was a gut punch to everybody uh, on staff, coaches. Um, I think some alumni kind of understood some of what some student athletes were, some of the alumni were tweeting about and some of the stories. Um, but I uh, am not here to devalue anyone's story. I'm not here to devalue anyone's experience. So I'll just speak on my own experience as a player when I was there. Did I ever receive any racially motivated, uh, motivated treatment at Iowa? And I'll say no. Were there things that I knew that was wrong, that was being said? Yes. And this was to a white player, to a black player. To me, it didn't matter. There's things that, um, and I don't know, 
maybe Bruce, maybe when you were a player or when you were in the GA role, uh, you could get away with some things maybe back in the day. Uh, but the way that football is evolving now, uh, there were some things that were being said when I was a player that you just didn't need to say, didn't, didn't need to harp on. That's not how you motivate a guy. And so there was uh, some coaches, um, again, obviously one that got let go, um, but then also I'll, I'll speak on my position coach who would say things and do things that, that you kind of just scratch your head and just like, man, like, you know, if, if, if that's how you have to motivate somebody, man, maybe I don't love football as much as I thought. Right. Um, and so um, those things, um, they happened. I witnessed those things uh, moving forward to, you know, what took place this past summer uh, with me being on staff. Again, I tried my best to be, uh, the conduit to our student athletes. So if they did have an issue, if they did have a problem, hey, I'm, I'm supposed to be the one that can hear them out and take it to Coach Ferentz and all this stuff. But um, man, it was really tough to be in my position and go to Coach Ferentz and say, hey man, like we got a complaint about uh, CD, right? Um, and we all know, and, and Bruce, maybe you know this too, uh, but uh, it seemed like Coach Doyle kind of was the assistant head coach, right? I mean, just like he had a lot of power. Um, it was known that if you were on Coach Doyle's bad list, like you're probably not going to play. And like you had to be a really, really, really good player to be on his bad list and still continue to play, right? And so like I think in all our athletic circles, that was known. Um, and so – there were a few reasons, um, you know, we we started our uh, Hawkeye Legacy group um, and uh, we, myself and uh, another staff member, we always questioned, man, we're having a hard time connecting with our uh, black alumni, man. Like those guys, they just not coming back. Like they just don't come around. The only time that they come around was maybe uh, when Coach Ferentz would ask them to be an honorary captain. No doubt. Like to me, like that's the highest honor, right? Hey, if I'm a foreign player, I did well enough. Coach France wants to have me back talk in front of the team, walk out in front of the crowd. Like that's great. Um, and a lot of the response that we got was um, they didn't feel comfortable because Coach Doyle was still there because the way Coach Doyle made them feel as a player. Um, and so for whatever it's worth, again, I'm, I, I'm not, you know, obviously like he's done, he's got his money, everything is good. I'm sure there's other factors why our, you know, black alumni didn't feel like they came back, but um, a lot of stories pointed to one common denominator, you know, and so um, that's tough. But in my new role now, what I'm trying to do is uh, create a better support system. Um, obviously, you know, when guys come from Georgia, when guys come from Florida, when guys come from California, no matter where you are um, from further away, you know, you need someone to fall back on. Right. Again, some parents can't make it to the game. Uh so we're trying to create the support network, this mentorship uh, within the community. So when guys do get in trouble or not get in trouble, or when guys are feeling like they're lost, when they're feeling like they have no one to turn to, now you have a support network to make sure that all, that all your needs are taken care of. Um, and so in my role, I mean, I've, I've created um, this uh, Black Student Athlete Affinity Group that we have uh, community mentors, we have athletic department mentors, no matter the sport. Uh, we have uh, mentors with on campus. Uh, I've also created an LGBTQ plus group. Again, that's a space to where um, our athletic department really hasn't taken a strong stance, at least since I've been there. 
since 2014. Um, so for our student athletes who identify as being a part of that community, um, there is now a space that we can come and be free and kind of be yourself, um, kind of enjoy that. Um, I've also um, created a IHawks, which is our international Hawks affinity groups uh, for our international student athletes. Um, again, I mean, as, as us being an American citizen, we all feel blessed that we could, I can drive four hours to get back to Minnesota. Whereas somebody from Australia, they have to take flights. It's, it's not as e simple, it's not easy. They have to deal with I-20 forms. They have to get the visa, things that I don't know. But um, so um, I'm trying to create the space to where student athletes feel like they can truly be themselves within their athletic silos. And um, to me, that's the first step. And the second step is continue to have these tough conversations. Well, I think uh, first of all, big kudos for doing that because the just the groups that you listed already, um, Having that at Iowa, I was only there for a year, but also, obviously I came back and was very involved with George and Claire being there. Um, so having those in place is incredible. Um, I'm really excited for the entire UI community to have that. Um, so I guess what I was kind of thinking was it's kind of hard when, you know, like we were talking about how the University of Iowa, I think the big thing that always came up for me was like, we. They do preach family, but to actually have the groups and the organizations in place is a very different being in itself. And so obviously you have done a great job creating those groups and creating that structure. And if anybody of our listeners don't know, this all happened um, just over the summer, um, but like energetically wise, cause you're in it, you're with the players, you're with the students. Do you feel like a, a shift in the energy since Coach Doyle has been gone and kind of like, like, how is the camaraderie? Like, do you feel just how's the energy now that this changes? Yes. Um, you know, again, first off, I'll say hats off to the team, um, to the coaching staff, again, to, to win, to end the season with six game winning streak. I think that's phenomenal. Uh, again, the backs were against the wall. We had the summer incident. Now we start off the season 0-2, um, and then we rattle off six. Again, I, I would imagine we probably would have uh, fared pretty, pretty well in the bowl game if we had it. Um, but, again, so kudos to the staff. But, um, yes, I do do – check-in meetings with our uh, with some of the football players and they do feel like um, the program is heading in the right direction uh, so to me like that's awesome to hear again it's it's kudos to coach France who all his infinite wisdom what 22 years in the game decided that hey listen like I actually need to stop pause sit down and just listen right I don't have to say nothing I don't know everything um, and um, we actually had a very very um, kind of uh, transparent, uh, candid uh, meeting June 8th. Um, and I would say that June 8th team meeting where everyone got to speak freely, get everything off your chest, uh, that meeting kind of set the tone for what the season's going to be like. And so again, um, I like to give kudos to Coach France for actually making that um, kind of a normal conversation that happens throughout the year. Um, we always ask for our grade reports or, um, or uh, yeah, report cards at the end of the year. Um, I think this year Coach France did a better job in actually checking in um, throughout the year just to make sure that, you know, guys are actually okay, one. But then, two, uh, am I doing everything that I promised you? And, and if I'm not, okay, I need to step up my game. And as a staff, we need to do better in these areas. Um, and again, never before has that ever been the case. It's always been, you know, hey, you know, 
we are the adults, you're the kids, you listen, right? And so I think over this year, it's just been better. And it seemed like guys don't have to walk on eggshells anymore. I mean, guys can truly be themselves, white and black, so. Yeah. Well, you know, and I just, on your other comments, because I've been part of the Iowa Football Club, which has tried to do some of the legacy stuff. And we had, there were a lot of those same issues. And then when this whole thing went down, uh, a lot of conversations internally, you know, we had emails from all kinds of guys to the board and all that kind of stuff. And there was quite a bit shared about all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I guess, you know, the, the takeaway that I was having was, yeah, there were some ways in which culturally the race issue was problematic, but in the sense of kind of overt racism or racist behavior, there wasn't really a lot of that. You know, it was more not feeling I couldn't be myself. I couldn't do these kind of things because it was conditioned culturally to be kind of a white Iowa kid. And if I was a black kid from Chicago or Jersey or whatever, then that's hard to fit into that role. And so, you know, whether intentional or not, so, but there was that kind of expanse. And then the other piece was more about the way in which certain players were treated by certain staff kind of relationally and otherwise. And that was really difficult. And that, I think, transcended all races <laughs> and no, ages. Sure. You know, so that was kind of another piece. So there was a lot of things going on with that. So it's great. And I know, and I kind of wish they failed. They didn't get the Michigan game either. So I think they would have just no. been off of Michigan, which is always fun. Always fun. Always fun. So that was really great. So, well, we are super excited. And we also want to wish the Kirk and everybody the best with that. Cause it's, I know that was a really tough situation. And, you know, as we know, you know, adversity and pain, some of our greatest struggles often are what makes us the strongest and gives us the greatest opportunity for growth and learning. And so this has certainly been one of those. And it really feels like the program has taken it very seriously, put the right kind of steps in place, you know, to make sure that people are listening and that things are being changed and all that kind of stuff, which I truly hope uh, is the case. Because I, I do hope that the program continue to be strong and under Kirk's leadership mm -hmm. staff there and your leadership, um, that it will be a welcoming place. And I'm super excited about the GLBT stuff. I mean, that, you know, we kind of wink, wink in Iowa City, like it's all okay, but, you know, it's not an easy place to be either. So uh, kudos for that as well, because I think that's really a stretch, particularly within the athletic department, because, you know, if you're a macho athlete and all that kind of stuff, you know, there's not a lot of room or space for that sometimes. So anyway, good news on all that. So great job. Thank you for all those updates. Um, I guess the last piece I had about this, and so, you know, on the show, our mission statement is about sharing the untold stories of people in communities impacted by social and environmental injustice. Um, and so what we've gotten into in a few times, and maybe you've kind of answered this, and so I don't want to go too far into it, but, you know, we've really gotten into looking at kind of systemic issues, you know, mm -hmm. that are, are pretty deeply seated and in, in that kind of stuff. And so I'm just wondering, it, it really feels, you know, kind of to me, like there are individual personalities that can be problematic. But on the other hand, University of Iowa as a system has kind of a, a culture within it as well. So I don't know, are there systemic issues that you're having to face as you're kind of walking this line. And I mean, I, it feels like in a way that you're kind of pushing this big rock up a hill. And I know you're not alone, I hope you're not, you know what I mean? No, but it's not. a really important one. Uh, and yeah. so I just kind of, I wonder about, cause you've got, you've got the broader university and it's just massive. And then you get your University of Athletic Department, Iowa Athletic Department, and then each one of those has your programs and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot within that. And so systemically, it just feels like I mean, because like historically, right at the U of I, I mean, they had the discrimination claims and there's been, you know, there's been a history of not diversity, not inclusion, not equity. And so um, kind of where, where, what are you seeing as far as some of the systemic stuff and the big picture pieces like that? Yeah, it's, um, it's tough. Uh, change 
change is hard. And I think change is hard for everyone, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, and so when we have a lot of um, workers within the university, within the athletic department, staff members that have uh, been doing what they've been doing, the work that they've been doing, good, bad, or indifferent for a number of years, 10 plus, 15 plus, almost 20 years, uh, to come in and try to change something. Um, and where some people feel like they're, the, the finger's pointed at them, like they did something wrong, it's always hard, it's always tough. And so again, um, some of the systemic things that, I mean, obviously um, speaking from my experience, okay. So it is, it, it has been tough um, to hear that so many people want change, uh, but their actions don't back it up, okay. <laughs> um, and so um, I'll just give you a brief example an example that I've kind of been given a lot, but uh, when when George Floyd was murdered um, in in the street that day, I believe a week later we had uh, I had my first town hall meeting as being like in my new role. Okay, so we had a uh, hundred and around seventy uh, staff members attend that first town hall meeting, and that's great. We had two hundred twenty total members, I believe. Uh, so one hundred seventy for my first meeting. Love it. I think it's great. Uh, the thing from that meeting came out, uh, we don't, a lot of our staff members, again, predominantly white, we don't know what to say. We don't want to judge anyone or, or like we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And then education, we need to educate ourselves, right? On the education piece, it is not, I guess in this sentence, because I got hired for the job, but it's not a Black person's job to educate you on these topics, right? I think uh, you have to put in the necessary work. But anyway, as it being me, my job, it is my job to educate our staff <laughs> and student athletes. <laughs> it is my job to educate our staff and student athletes. So anyway, so uh, two weeks later, um, we I asked everyone to watch the documentary The 13th on Netflix, okay? Now, if you haven't seen it, very, very basic but educational um, documentary on the abolishment of slavery, which is the 13th Amendment, okay? And so uh, during that talk, I had... Uh, only 70 staff members showed up. So we dropped 100 people, okay? And so again, the whole time you're hearing, hey, yes, we need change. Like diversity is important. Like we want to do all this stuff, but then again, no one's really showing up. Like I have a, a core group of staff members who are here for the work and they're ready to do it. So um, as you said, um, it is an uphill battle, um, but I have a good support system. Um, the ADs behind me, the deputy, deputy director, the AD, Barbara Burke, uh, and obviously um, Gary Barter being an AD, they're behind me. I got a good support system. So um, I like to say I have broad shoulders, right? I got big back. I can squat a lot. So um, I am here for the work and I'm um, ready to keep pushing. I mean, I have to. Um, this is the time. And um, I would say this, this summer is when the people who have the power and the privilege they're finally listening and they're finally able to, to try and want to change. So I got to keep pushing. Yeah. Well, I really just credit to you for that and to the athletic department, and the university for taking those steps. And, you know, I, I mean, I think from my end, you know, I'm 61 now. And so I've kind of seen the range of stuff to some extent. Um, and it feels like the current has finally shifted and going in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And in some places, it's not as strong as we might want it to be. But at the same time, I have this feeling like if you're still going against the current, eventually you're just not going to be here, you know, because, you know, you just it's going to change eventually just over time with people aging out and retiring and all that kind of stuff. And it just, you know, I think so as long as we're keeping the conversation, the dialogue going and keeping things out in front. And like you said, if 
if folks, you know, in the dominant culture, you know, if the white folks are trying to do the work and paying attention and being mindful about it and really committed to trying to make some changes, then I think we all have an opportunity for that. So, so anyway, well, thank you for all that update. It's great. We're super excited about you being in the position and really look forward to great things coming. So, well, let's talk a little bit about, so we kind of tied in, we got hooked up partly because of your past relationship with U of I Children's Hospital. Yes. Uh, and in your role as player development, and you guys do a whole bunch of work on that. So um, I've got a little blurb on the U of I Children's Hospital, but you could probably tell us about that. But I'll let Emma, I'm just rambling on. If you want to read the question or do something, go ahead. So we're just chatting. Sorry, man. Thank you. All good. Oh, all good. <laughs> go ahead. Um, so the University of Iowa Children's Hospital has provided care for children from birth to young adulthood for over 100 years. Service ranges, services range from promoting wellness to the care of general childhood illness, surgery, traumatic injuries, life-threatening and chronic illnesses, and development disabilities. As part of an academic medical center, University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital also performs groundbreaking research to help solve the mysteries of childhood diseases. In addition to training the next generation of healthcare professionals, the UI Children's Hospital has cared for over 77,000 children. Um, in the last year alone. So very excited. It's a very incredible organization. And again, for all of our hidden podcast people who don't know what it looks like, whenever we've talked about the wave on this, um, UI Children's Hospital, when they were constructing it, they built one of the floors high enough so that all the children could watch the football games and the team waves to them. Um, what is it, third quarter? Uh, actually, at the end of the first quarter. At the end of the first yeah. quarter, well, there we go. <laughs> They don't make them white. Um, okay, so in your role as player, coach, and on staff, you have been a part of the partnership between the football team and the Children's Hospital. Um, we know Coach Ferentz and his wife, Mary, have been longtime and significant supporters of the Children's Hospital. So can you please tell us about the Children's Hospital and what all they do and why this is such an important, important partnership uh, for the football team? No doubt. Um, yeah, so player development. One of my roles was to uh, deal with community service. I shouldn't say deal with, but um, give our guys an opportunity to go out into the community and serve the community that supports us uh, every Saturday, whether it's home or away, buying tickets, merchandise, obviously just supporting our guys. And so um, Children's Hospital, as you said, is, um, is a big piece of that. Um, I would say it's probably more like 12 floors are above the stadium. Um, so even some children who are who, who cannot leave their bed uh, are still, if they're facing the right angle, they're still able to see inside um, the 12th floor, or I shouldn't say that. Uh, so I guess it wouldn't be the 12th floor. It'd be like maybe six floors. But anyway, sorry. The 12th floor is the floor where uh, a lot of uh, patients, when they can go up there, uh, that's where, that's kind of who we're waving to, right? Because they're up there, they got kind of having like um, um, a tailgate party up there, the families, the kids, it's a, it's a great thing. And so um, they've been wonderful. Uh, I've worked with four to five different uh, staff members um, that we would pretty much in the off season, every weekend, uh, we would go over there and then um, see some some patients who are struggling or who might be sick. Um, the one thing that's nice about the Iowa football players is that it's never pulling teeth. Like I never had to beg someone to go over there or do any community service at all. Um, we had guys and, and like the, the most special thing is like if a, if a patient was going to be there for an extended amount of time and the guy goes over there and they make a connection, now the guy's part of that family. And now that guy goes over there whenever he has free time. He doesn't have to use me. Like he just does it on his own time. And so there's been a lot of relationships. A guy that I played with, Ricky Stanzi, 
um, he had a relationship with a with a member or patient in the Children's Hospital. And he again, he would just go over there by himself. Um, I know Nate Stanley. I know Alex Padilla, uh, Padilla. Obviously, there's guys throughout his names that I can list, but they have this special relationship with these patients and they just go over there by themselves. Um, another thing is our kid captains. And so uh, when I was a player, um, I always thought it would be cool for me to stand next to the kid captain during the, the national anthem, right? And so there's quite a, uh, there's maybe like, I would say like five or 10 photos of me standing next to the kid captain. Um, and this story is kind of cool and it's kind of unique because a photo just surfaced of a, of a guy who was a kid captain um, his name is Kelby, um, and I won't give his last name, obviously. Uh, but um, so I have the photo. I signed it. Um, I actually got a chance to meet his parents this past summer. And again, I didn't think nothing of it. This is like, oh, you know, hey, did you play Iowa football? Yeah, I did. What's your name? I'm Broderick. Oh, Broderick Benz. Oh, my gosh. Like, you stood next to my son. Well, uh -huh. his son is, uh, is going to be a football player at Iowa this next semester. So again, so you talk about kid captain, you talk about the children's hospital, how special that is. Um, I've gotten a text message of um, another picture with me in it of uh, a kid captain who just graduated high school. So again, you know, obviously every story doesn't come out. Unfortunately, we, we understand that life process. Sometimes these, these, uh, these diagnoses are, are, are obviously very, very, very bad. And some kids might not make it, but for the ones that do and, you know, for people who reach out to me and they say, hey, you know, you know, you took a picture with my son and now he's going to be on the football team. When you talk about full circle, like all that's great. Um, so kid captains, yes, love it. Um, another thing that we do is called um, Heart Friends Party, uh, where for any any student or sorry, not student, any patient that was born, uh, born with a birth defect in the heart. Um, there's typically like a party around uh, things. Um, sorry, Valentine's Day. And so we take. 10 to 12 guys over there. Again, it's not pulling teeth. We go over there and hang out for a couple of hours with their parents, with their siblings, with the, with the patient themselves. Um, and it just brightens their day. I mean, I'm sure as you all know, uh, Bruce and Emma's being a student athlete, I mean, anytime that you can brighten a fan's day, whether it's just a picture or a hug or signing an autograph, it means the most. And so the fact that we are able to walk across the street, literally 50 yards to walk across the street, and to brighten the day of, of, of a patient um, who is going through hard times. I mean, again, it's never pulling teeth and it's, and it's great. So kudos to uh, Coach and uh, uh, Kirk and Mary for partnering with the, with the Children's Hospital. Again, uh, Ladies Football Academy. Um, Emma, I'm not sure if, if you or your mom have done that in the past, but uh, that's a wonderful thing too. I mean, it, it's just... It's just great um, just just being able to be a part of it, just a small piece of it um, was awesome, so. Well, we always saw the pictures of George. They always dressed him up in the, you know, the under stuff, you know, nice and, you know, tight and then walk him around and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how much football was really getting taught on all that kind of stuff, but I will say this so far, I think your point though is really well made about the players. And you know, what's interesting is like, we, you know, when you go over, and uh, a lot of players have been in that where you go, you think you're going to go do something good for somebody and all that. Mm. And then the relationship and the experience really changes you because your eyes are open. One, maybe it just instills a little bit more gratitude in your own life and about, you know, how fortunate you are because you haven't been dealt with that. that here you are as a right. D1 athlete, you get a chance to do all these things and your physicality and your strength and your power. I mean, it's just something I don't want to say is taken for granted, but I mean, when you're born with right. it and then you look at it and all of a sudden there you are. I think in a way we kind of, you don't always appreciate that gift. And then 
when you're with people that don't have that and or they've lost it, especially when you see the younger pediatric oncology and, and all the other stuff, it really is transformative. And I, I just know for George, you know, he's always had a real touch spot. I mean, he's involved with the Children's Hospital out in San Francisco because of nice. because of his experience with U of I Children's Hospital. And, and that is still a organization that he's very fond of and, you know, really cares about. In the summer, he does a little, you know, Zoom call back in. We did this last summer and talks to kids oh, yeah. about it. So, but I think, you know, he would say that he gets a lot more out of it than he feels like he gives. You know what I mean? By just being right. around kids and his families and all that. So it's a really enriching kind of piece. And it's a really great partnership that you guys have been able to develop uh, within that whole kind of framework. So I just want to give a shout out. I was snooping around on you online. So I found, let's see. So we talked about community service and I think you kind of covered it, but I got you listed as a volunteer bagger, shopper, truck unloader at the crisis center of Johnson County during your days, right? So you're kind of helping. And so that's a kind of food bank setting for yep. homeless or, you know, kind of food. Shortage. Struggling families, yep. So that's uh, pretty cool. We got you mentor at the Hawkeye Readers with Iowa City mm -hmm. Community School District, right? And that was one that George did too, the whole time he was there. And yep. he like that one a lot being with the kids and so that's a pretty cool one so um i don't know so maybe we kind of touched on all that i was just going to ask you i guess the two things i had is how has covid impacted you know kind of that work um and is there anything else about that connection because i do think it's super special that um the way in which the football program does try to participate and try to expand the opportunity and experiences that the players have kind of outside of football because it's certainly very very consuming no doubt um COVID, yes, it's tough. I think safety is most paramount. So um, I, I obviously during during the season, um, there's not much uh, volunteering that that goes on again, unless you have that special connection with the family. But with academics, class, tutors, practice, dinner, meetings, it's kind of tough. Um, so out of season portion, I'm not sure what that's going to look like this out of season. But again, uh, we want everyone to be as safe as possible. Um, I know. Um, the rules and regulations if we were to go over to the children's hospital is probably a lot of hoops and paperwork that will that guys will probably have to sign and obviously it's a bunch of tests that needs to go on and you know we want to make sure that if we do go over there if, if our football players do go over there or any student athletes do go over there um, everyone's being safe and we're not bringing anything to them or our student athletes aren't getting anything if they were to leave all that stuff so um, this this spring this summer is probably going to be a, a tad bit tougher uh, with, with COVID. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll just see, and we hope it all can evolve in a way that gives everybody those opportunities. Whoops. Okay. Let's see. Uh, la -da -da -da. um, I think we kind of got to that, didn't we? we? Did. Yeah. He's just kind of covering everything. Uh, well, okay. And I don't know if you know these, so I was just wondering about, so a couple of issues, just cause on the social justice front, and I don't know if you know about this. So I guess I'm just wondering how do kids end up at the U of I Children's Hospital instead of somewhere else? Maybe their parents just bring them. And then the other thing I just wondered about, and I don't know if you know, like how do they, what do they do with families that either don't have adequate insurance or have limited resources? I mean, do they, are they able to do stuff with some of the, you know, families maybe that, you know, would kind of been, that are facing a harder time right now, especially I'm just saying with COVID, there's so many families facing eviction and job, right. all that kind of stuff. So, so um, I don't know. Well, I do know um, it's got to be top five children's hospital in the nation, correct? Uh -huh. Iowa City Children's Hospital, right? I think uh, the, the diseases and um, the operations that we can offer, I think um, 
a lot of places don't have that. So I would imagine that if you're within a few hours radius and your kid happens to, to have some sort of uh, ailment, ailment uh, you know, you bring them to the Children's Hospital in Iowa City probably works best. Um, I don't know about insurance, but I do know the Ryan McDonald House, right. uh, which is right across the street on the same parking lot as Carver Hawkeye Arena. Um, I know they do uh, ho uh, host families that uh, are driving from long distance or if they don't have enough money to spend a um, few nights in the hotel. I know the Ryan McDonald House uh, does that work um, as well. We do partner with the Salvation Army, the Ryan McDonald House, the Food Bank, uh, Table to Table, another food organization. So um, as Iowa football, we try and, and spread our net, cast our wet, uh, our net pretty wide. Uh, but I think the Ryan McDonald House is probably be the, the, the spot that I would say that probably takes on families that are having a tough time and their child or children are in the children's hospital. Okay. Well, all right, and I'm sure there's probably a little bit more to that, but we'll, we'll kind of see. So, okay, so I've got a couple of follow-up questions with you. So one, just thank you so much for sharing and all that kind of stuff. So uh, just on U of I Children's Hospital, and maybe you don't know, because I know you work in the other department, you're affiliated, but um, how could people support or get involved with the Children's Hospital? So anything other than, I know the football team is, but if like somebody's listening, they go, wow, that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. I'd like to be part of the wave or whatever, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, any, any thoughts on that? Are you aware of any kind of suggestions for people to do that? Oh, man. Um, I think that's, uh, I think that's tough. I don't know. I, I guess the ways that I'm thinking about how, how we do it as an athletic department, um, I know uh, our student athletes are making blankets. I know they're making pillows. Um, I know they're obviously giving their, their time and they're trying to go see student athletes. They're making pictures, whatever they can do to cheer up um, a patient, uh, maybe their family, I think would be awesome. Um, outside of giving money, obviously I know like money helps with research and helps with all that stuff as well. Uh, but if, if you can't give money, I think your talents, your time, if, 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 you, if you are creative and you want to uh, make a, a picture or if you want to be a pen pal or something just to brighten their day, um, I think those are all viable options for you. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I know they do have a volunteer coordinator kind of program and you can kind of plug different areas. And so we'll, we'll try to throw that in the notes as well. Okay, then uh, what about if somebody's like, wow, I love Iowa football, this whole community service thing is great. Are there opportunities for the public to get involved and or help facilitate what you guys do on the football side to either spread that net a little bit wider or support that, those efforts? Of course, of course. Um, you would reach out to the player development guy. Uh, right, right now that is Sam Brinks. Um, and so... He is in that position. And so, again, I don't know what that looks like with COVID. Uh, you talk about Hawkeye readers, again, going into the schools and some of the stuff is all virtual now. So that might be easier to do, but um, I would contact the uh, player development guy, which is Sam Brinks, to kind of, uh, if you want to get involved or have Iowa football kind of help you out within the community service realm, um, I think you can uh, contact him. He's the point guy. Okay. Then on your work with diversity, equity, and inclusion, so any suggestions for people listening, and we kind of touched on it, but I just want to give you one more shot, either ways to assist within the U of I and or athletic department in your efforts and or, you know, if they're not local, what would you encourage people to be thinking about or doing at this point in okay. history? Because really, you know, we're going to look back on this time and people had an opportunity to either step up and step forward mm -hmm. or they did, you know what I mean? And so. What would you kind of just the casual listener, you know, to our 5 million people who are going to download this, 
um, you know, what, what are your kind of just thoughts on all that kind of stuff? What would you suggest and encourage people to be thinking about or moving towards? I think uh, the first thing, and I already said this, but again, um, not expecting uh, your black friends to teach you everything when it comes to social injustice, racial uh, inequality. Um, it's important for you to do the own work, do your own work, do your own research. Uh, because again, I mean, with the amount of podcasts, movies, documentaries, books, uh, TED Talks, whatever you, whatever your platform is for listening and learning, there's so much information out there, right? And so to depend on your black friend to do it, um, not okay in my eyes. Uh, so again, do the work yourself. Um, and then the second thing, which I think is probably the most important thing is that uh, for many years, I think the black community has been uh, speaking, has been trying to uh, kind of let everyone know what our frustrations are when it comes uh, to these types of issues and situations. Um, I think now what we need is our uh, allies um, to come from the back and step up to the front um, and to try and uh, get other people of the dominant race um, to come along and to understand what it's like to be us as well. Um, I know there are um, a lot of allies within Iowa City, but just in my own life, a lot of friends who are white, who understand my struggle because I get to talk to them and I kind of vent to them, hey, these are my struggles, they, these is what I do. And what I need is for them to now go into their own community, to their workplace, and to say, hey, man, that joke, that's not okay. Like, that's not funny. That's not okay. That's racist. That's sexist. Like, whatever you want to say, like, that's not okay. But again, it seems like when I say it, um, I become the angry black man, right? Like I'm the guy who's, who's barking and always saying the stuff, but you know, people are more prone to listen to someone that looks like them. And so if you're able to spread the word and this knowledge and this, this, this understanding that you have of what it means to be a minority in today's time, I think that goes a lot further. Yeah. No, yeah, go ahead. Well, something that we keep saying is that like Superman's not coming, right? And so we are the change that we want to see. So, you know, in those situations where I feel like a lot of times people may have, even still now, like feel, feel fearful uh, to say things or to stick up for people in certain ways, like you have to do it because mm -hmm. you either believe in the mission of ending racism and create a more collective space for every single person or you don't. Right. And at the end of the day, it's pretty black and white. Um, well, that's, that's, not, that's not the way that I wanted to end that. <laughs> So I would just say this, so, hey, I think though the angry, I think the angry black woman is a bigger thing than the angry black guy. No, for sure. You think so or not? I'm just like, no, I do. I, I, think, do. I think black women, women of color, like if they go off at all, like Kam Kamala Harris, right? When she was doing the debate, like I think she was just totally screwed from the beginning because like if she just puts him in his place and jumps his shit, she's the angry black chick, right? And because yep. she's a woman and black, and then if she's really docile and gets run over, then, you know, she's lame and weak. You know what I mean? I just think it's so tough that way. But no, no, it, it is tough. And I just had this conversation with my mom um, the other week. Um, again, someone in my support network who can obviously listen and understand. But um, I truly believe the most disrespected uh, person in America is, is the black woman. Right. Um, and so, um, yes, um, they the, the black women seem like no matter what they say, if they're, as you said, if they're, if they're not aggressive enough, then, you know, as you said, docile, or if they are aggressive or they might 
raise their voice a little bit now. Oh, she's angry. She's moody. You know, let's not talk to her. Right. And so it's kind of a, um, a lose lose when it comes to that situation. But uh, no doubt, again, we've been trying to speak it for 400 years about the challenges that we have. And so it, it would be nice for our allies. And I know there are a lot of allies doing the work and I appreciate that in all spaces, right? No matter what it is, a lot of allies doing the work. Um, but that's what we need is just more allies to speak up and, and kind of say, hey, listen, man, like that's not okay. That's not right. I, I think it goes further. Well, and so uh, one thing that we like to do as we end our show, as we conclude, is we talk about the things that we're hopeful about. So obviously the things that you just said, but as we are wrapping up 2020 and entering into a new year, um, what else are you hopeful about? Uh, I'll tell you what, I am um, hopeful for my um, my family, right? Again, um, to me, that's the biggest thing in my life, I'm sure, as I get to know George and obviously talking to you, Bruce, a few times, and Emma, your family, I think family is like the most important thing in any of our lives. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful about my, my health and safety, um, and I'm just looking forward to 2021 uh, starting off with a bang uh, and being the best year yet. So, all right. Well, listen, man, I just, I want to say thank you. And I just, we're going to keep in our thoughts and prayers, you know, with your work and you putting yourself out there. And uh, we are working hard to be allies in that way and to stand up in ways that we can. And I guess if there's anything that we can do, you know, we're not around Iowa City right now or anymore, but if there's something that George can do or Claire or any of us in a way that would support the work that you're doing, uh, please let us know because we definitely want to be a part of the solution and, and be helping with those conversations because I think it's super important because we want to create the world that we want our children to live in. And I hope that, you know, that is a future that we're all envisioning. So anyway, we're super excited about that. So you have a happy, happy new year, the best to your children and your wife and your family. I know you're there with them. So thank you for taking time out from kind of vacation time to do this for us. We're really, really grateful. So anyway, and I can't, U of I is in great hands. So you're just, you know, it's just like divinely inspired that you were in the right position at the right time to be the leader to take this on. So it's really, really great. So thank you for being here. Amy, anything else? Yeah, thank you so much. I have one final question though. So okay. um, for University of Iowa people, uh, as an athlete, one of the best ways to get around because you can't trust the canvas uh, is a moped. And we've talked about this on the show before. So I'm curious, as someone who has gone from a student to a graduate assistant, to a staff member, have you rode a moped the entire time? Is it still the most convenient way to get around or have you kind of punted on that? And yes, um, mopeds are still the best way to get around campus um, for parking, parking for class. The only problem is, and when I was a student athlete, this I can't believe I did this, but I would ride it in the snow, right? So those oh, early okay. morning- oh, All the time. Five in the morning, gotta be up, gotta make it there at 5.45, lift loop at six. Oh my gosh, I'm in there in the snow, ice, rain, didn't matter. Uh, but no, I uh, I actually want to go get a moped myself so I can have the joy of riding it again. Uh, I don't think that's in the budget anytime soon. So uh, we'll just deal with the car. And a little advice, freshman year, do not bring a car to campus, okay? Because the, the, the parking authority, uh, they are ruthless, and that's how I believe they make a lot of the money. So we've had oh. guys with parking tickets over a thousand dollars because they were five minutes late to put more change in. So again, moped is the way to go. Buy your permit. 
but just be careful if you're going to ride it in the rain or in the snow like I did. So just be careful. All right. We'll be careful. All right. Well, you have a happy new year then. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. And blessings on the journey. All right. No doubt. Thank you very much. We'll see you out. Thank you. You guys are back. What's up? What's up, guys? Okay. And here we go for Ask George. Um, okay. So for our Ask George questions, uh, we have a couple of our OG fans. Um, so Danny uh, had to get you on. Um, but so sad this is the last episode, George. Um, what do you love most about your family and why? You can start with it's from Danny. Mm -hmm. Hi, Danny. Thank you. Thank you for your questions. I appreciate them. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. I uh, sent Danny some of your cards in Australia. Remember oh. the whole thing that took me forever to figure out? Danny. Good job, Danny. But I just want to say, have a incredible 2021. And I hope you continue listening to the Hidden Pearls podcast. What are my questions I'm working with today? Um, what's your favorite thing about your family and why? My favorite thing about my family and why um, is that, I mean, I can give you a lot of examples, but I think my favorite thing about my family is that um, their unwavering love and support of me from my sister to my mom, to my dad. Um, there's not been a moment in my entire life where I've questioned whether I'm loved and supported. And I think that makes me very uh, privileged, honestly, because I don't know if everyone experiences that, but the relationships that I built with my entire family and how I know that they will always be there for me. And I can have a hundred percent of my trust and to each and every one of them. Uh, it's incredibly important to me. Um, and it's the fact that my family has shown me that and the right way to love people has been pretty awesome. So that is my favorite thing about my family. Hi. I love you so much. Oh, I know. Okay, and then uh, wrapping up the season with our girl, Lydia. 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 Some Lydia. Keep doing some George edits. We love your artwork. Um, okay, so Lydia has uh, a couple fire off questions. Um, first one we're going to start with, uh, how did you and Claire choose Deanie's name? You look like such a wrestler right now. So George hasn't showered after practice. So he's kind of got the Seth Rollins look going. Ooh, Little greasy. Seth Rollins, Triple H. Um, one time for Halloween. <sighs> Actually, it's the it's the party that CJ showed up to with Lunchables that we joke about earlier in the episode. Um, but George was, so we had a WrestleMania party and Claire and I were the Dollar Twins. Um, Jan was Becky Lynch. George, Bruce was The Undertaker and George was Seth Rollins. Gray Wyatt. Bruce oh, Bruce Boy Bryant. He had the fire. The lantern. The, the lantern. Um, and so George was like, M, my hair. He had like the wig where it was like blonde and black. And he was like, we got to make it look oily. And the only thing I had was castor oil, which was like. Okay. So literally all we had to do was put water on it. Water. And she's like, no, this is way better. Trust me. She literally just takes oil out of the cabinet, takes it to the bathtub and just starts spraying it with oil. Not spraying. I just covered the it. The whole, she poured like a bottle of oil onto you a wig. You don't need that much. No. You don't need that just much. Just covered it. Stained my shirt. I literally <laughs> wore the shirt the next day. Like it completely ruined the whole shirt. I think that was probably why you tripped that night, right? Because you were yeah, covered in oil? Probably. That's a whole other story that we can completely avoid and never tell the tale of. Ever, 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 ever. 
Okay. If you're lucky, you might hear that one, but probably not. Probably not. Oh my god. Maybe season two. Okay. Maybe never. Okay. So how'd you come up with Deanie's name? Wow. How do we even? No idea. You get me so sidetracked. Deanie's name. Wow. That's a. We're gonna. Wow. A bit. Wow. Wow. So we were stuck on our favorite dog name was Margot, especially for a little girl puppy. Um, we're big Margot Robbie fans. Um, big Suicide Squad fan. You know, I like I like her characters. But Claire's also in love with Margot Robbie and it's awesome. And so we like Margot for a name and um, we were, we liked that a lot. And then we actually, um, Claire's family helped us come up, helped us come up with the name Bernadine. And that is Claire's great grandmother. That was Deanie who just barked. That was Deanie that barked as well. But her name, That's me. Claire's uh, great grandma was Bernadine. That was her, uh, her name. And Bernadine, um, her reputation was that she was the life of the party. And she, there's never a dull moment in her life. And she just loved to hang out. She loved to be with her family. And she liked to party. And Deanie now being a Bernadoodle and Bernadine was her uh, great grandma's name. We were like, Bernadine's awesome. What about Deanie? And we just were like, wow, Deanie, Bernadine. And we kind of just fell in love with it. And so we named her Bernadine. And so her her full name is Bernadine, and uh, but we just call her Deanie. And Which is great because now we have Deanie and Dane. Deanie and Dane, and you know her most common nickname is actually the the Bean Dean or the Dean Bean. Or the beasts will stop that. No, not no, funny. not at all. You know what? <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. What is in your cup right now? Danny from the block. But have a all right, what else do we have? Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It just is. Love I know. That. I know it was released in like July, but there's a Christmas tree in it. And he saves Christmas by saving all those people's lives. So he's basically Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, honestly. Totally. Walk around barefoot on broken glass. Mm -hmm. That's the red nose. Wow. The connections. Okay. Um, what is your favorite 49ers uniform color? The all whites. It's not even close. Easy. Yeah, those are the so sexy. Those are some great uniforms. And so pretty. Cause it, you know, at Iowa, we, we, I think we had like two or three, we had three alternates over my five years there. And one was horrendous, like so, so, so bad. The next year was kind of like, eh, these are okay, but we got our butts kicked in. And the last one was my, I think it was my redshirt junior year. We played Minnesota. We we're in all blacks with giant gold numbers. And they were so cool. Cause it was so a blackout. Cool. And so those uniforms were sick, but I never, sorry, but the whole point of that was I was never used to like, Hey, if you look good, you feel good, you play good. And when you put those white uniforms on, you literally feel like a superhero. It's so cool. And those things are just awesome. I love the three stripes on it. <sighs> They're, They're beautiful. Beautiful uniforms. Okay. Um, what's if your you favorite? had to be stuck in quarantine in the house with two teammates who would I choose two teammates? Oh my God, Lydia, you are on a roll. Let's see, two teammates that I would love to get stuck at, stuck with during quarantine. Um, I think, I mean, Trent Taylor for sure, because uh, he's my best friend on the team. And <clears throat> that's just, uh, we've already lived together once and it's been incredibly successful. Um, but see, now that I picked Trent, my second pick would be CJ, but I can't live in a house with CJ and Trent because they both have that super competitive nature. Um, and so literally everything that they do. So CJ was talking about how he's a great ping pong player. Him and Trent would have 
battles in the locker room our rookie year in 2018 and even last year battles and they would go they would hit it back and forth cj would be 10 feet from the table hitting it and returning to trend as he's just spiking it across the table like they're really good guys just letting you know but um i couldn't live with both of them because everything that we did would be a competition and i just it's exhausting so it'd be trent and then it would have to be i think ross dwelly would be my second choice um because me and ross are absolute boys and um it's just he's a he's a much different vibe than Trent, and but we all commingle very very well. It'd be really fun for us three to hang out. Ross calling me. And last question: What's last your question. favorite flavor of ice cream? My favorite flavor of ice cream is Moose Tracks. It's been my favorite my entire life. I don't know if everyone knows what that is. It's like a vanilla ice cream with Reese's little peanut butter cups in it, and then it has like streaks of milk chocolate also throughout it, and it and peanut is, butter. There's like peanut butter and crop. There's like all the things. Well, no, it's it's Reese's and chocolate are the two things so in good. it. It's absolutely incredible. My favorite ice cream. Um, yeah, I know it's it's like it's not the highest of keys. It's kind of low key. <laughs> okay. But I I just want to say thank you guys for the questions all year. Congratulations to the um, the wonderful people that guessed my number and get a free pair of gloves that are customized by Nike. And they actually say the people's wait, tell them. So we were going to do 2019 and then George wants to switch your gloves to 2020 because sorry, the inside of the gloves, when you open them, it says the people's tight end on them. It has a Joker card on the inside. So shout out to Nike for those customized gloves, but got an extra pair of those lying around that I will send to you. Uh, cause they're awesome. And I wore them in the Cardinals game. So oh, perfect. there you go. They are game worn and game one. So that'll be pretty fun. I'll, I'll sign those for you guys as well. Um, but just want to say thank you so much to all you guys for allowing us um, to talk and you to listen to uh, Hidden Pearls podcast. It's been an absolute blessing to interact uh, with you guys when you guys send in questions. So thank you so much. I appreciate you guys being avid listeners to my family um, and to all the OGs that have been listening to this since episode one. Thank you. If you're new to the show, go back and listen. There's some really fun conversations with some incredible, incredible people um, from the charities that we talked about and the foundations to my teammates and opponents that have come on the show to discuss. Um, there's some, there's a lot of really fun stories. And so please come on and listen. Um, but thank you again. You guys are awesome. I hope everyone has a wonderful 2021 and two last words of wisdom from myself. Um, Two of my favorite quotes that I'll leave you with while we go into 2021 is, or, you know, attributes. Um, make sure you smile uh, because you never know if you smiling will make someone else's day if they see you smiling. I know it's hard with masks. I get that. But when you have the opportunity to be kind to somebody. And then my favorite quote of the year of 2020 that I had written on my weight room mirror every single day from Bruce and I think we've said on this podcast, small, consistent steps in the right direction lead to great results. Um, and I don't know if that is your guys's favorite quote, but if it, um, if you have something like that, write on a sticky note, put it on your mirror, read it every single day. Um, and it will remind you when the, the days are hard or you're working out or something's not going the way you want it to just always try to take those small steps in the right direction because it, it will have a tremendous payout. Um, and so, like I said, to everyone have a great 2021. Cheers. Happy New Year. Um, <clears throat> my favorite drink is tequila. tequila right now.
fashion. Okay, everybody, that wraps up uh, season one of the Hidden Pulse podcast. This honestly came around, um, not as spontaneous, but it, it just kind of hit this tipping point where we were going to do something that we weren't, and we just decided to dive all in. And the way that this has unfolded, um, the people that we've met, the organizations we've been connected to, um, we're realizing that this passion project, this kind of labor of love or whatever, I don't, I don't even know what we thought it was going to be from the beginning, but um, it's turned into something a lot bigger and it means so much to us. And so we just want to say thank you to anyone who has subscribed, anyone who has liked, anyone who has shared an episode or has promoted us or done anything, who has asked a question to George, who has guessed the numbers. Um, yeah, this already feels like a very special community and a little family. And our goal is to create a global impact so that we can inspire and that we can create change and that we can be the change that we want to see in the world. And so really thank you. Um, thank you, Papa. Thank you. Um, you've been quite the co-host and yeah, this has been a crazy season, but nonetheless, nonetheless completely magical. Yeah. So, and I'll just do a shout out. And Emma mentioned all the organizations that we've worked with and all the people that put time in, made themselves available. All the other players who sat with George and had conversations with us. So, I want to thank everybody for all that they've done. And I want to thank all those charities and people who dedicate themselves day in and day out to try to make the world a better place and to make life easier for those. And then I want to thank this little special person next to me. Uh, she did all of the editing, hours and hours of it, and all the uploading and downloading and all this, I don't even know. So anyway, I just want to thank her and for her wit and wisdom and insight um, and all the things that she brings to the show. So it's been a real pleasure and I've loved doing it. And uh, we're very grateful for everybody that's watching and or has watched or might watch. So anyway, so thank you. And, and we hope that we opened a few just thoughts and possibilities as we head into the new year. and. Uh, we'll be back sometime, not quite sure when, uh, but we'll figure it out and uh, we'll serve something that we plan on continuing. And we definitely want to open this up. Um, we're going to take some time off, but obviously we want to do something um, in 2021 and have a season two. And we're very, we're excited to start putting together our list of organizations for the next season. So if you are in a city or if you know of an organization or if you feel super called or passionate about sharing something, please, please let us know. You can reach out to us. Um, if you go to thunderbirdperformance.com slash connect, um, the connect page, there's a place at the bottom where you can just write us a message. You can share anything, you can subscribe, um, whatever. But we'd love to know what organization is and why you feel so passionate about it because universe, <laughs> anything holy willing, um, we're going to be able to actually have some connection, like some physical connection and be somewhere and not just be on the screen um, for the whole season. And so if that's the case, we'd love to actually be there to be in person and to meet these organizations um, and to do some work there. So if there's an organization that you feel called to share, please let us know because the earlier we know, the more we can start thinking about it and organizing. Um, so, Papa. See sweetie. We love you guys. Um, Hidden Pearls podcast is awesome and it's the shit and we love Hidden Pearls podcast too. So we don't know where we're going to be, but we will see you in a few months. Okay. Okay. One. Cut.